Clover Days Collective. This is Take Two. Is Take Two. Yeah, I like that you don't do introductions. No, no, no. I'll never do introductions. I think they're silly. And the reason why is because I hate introducing myself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, well, it's like cover letters or like LinkedIn profiles and things like that. Do you it's think just... that cover letters are worth it when it comes to like job applications? Okay, this part, ha- I, w- I want to go on the record about co- cover letters. Yeah, no, I think they're terrible. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I realize not everybody has the luxury of a, of applying for a really interesting job or a job that... Yeah. But if what you're applying for, you know, you and I are both freelancers. If, yeah. if what you're applying for involves creative work of any kind. Portfolio. It, it, it's a portfolio. Cover letter. In, in fact, I would say, um, I was just, someone. I was reading a really good tweet about this the other day. If someone's asking you for a resume for something like copywriting, graphic design, even a lot of um, tech stuff, that's a huge red flag. It It, it shows that they are maybe inexperienced with hiring for that kind of work. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, a cover letter can be like with some of the expedition stuff we're going to talk about, I'm finding myself in the position of having to write letters related to sponsorship and things like that. There's a time and a place for a cover letter, maybe to explain your intentions or your background or whatever, but making it this hurdle people have to jump through, uh, just to say who they are. I I think that's, Mm less than worthless i'd I'd rather i know if i was going to hire someone to write something i'd want to see something they wrote and find the person who did that um now let's say if okay i'm going to counter that with saying this is an 18 year old person fresh out of college they don't have any experience whatsoever what would you expect considering that they probably wouldn't have been in a position for a portfolio enough yeah I mean, it's tough, right? Because I think today you have kids who are are getting out there and getting after it and doing like incredible things. College and is nothing, especially if you want to be a creative, just creative. If I could go back, I I if I had had the interest to to write at sixteen and I was already doing it and I was mm. already building that portfolio. Okay. I. I I would not have gone to college. Um, so for sure not. I think it would have been a huge waste of time. I think circumstances are different. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, it's different to when we were eighteen. Totally. Does that make sense? I was an idiot when I was eighteen. Um, were you? Yeah, yeah. I, were, were you like a troublemaker? I think I really, really wanted to be, and I think my efforts <laughs> caused more trouble than if I had just been a troublemaker. Stop. In what way? I don't worry. Ah, uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I think that. Um, <laughs> oh man! I, tell us, I, tell I, us, <laughs> tell us. I think I just. I would sort of go out of my way, um, like when the easier option would have been to just. Like, I would rather kind of get a job so that I could quit it to go surfing um, rather than just find work that allowed me to surf okay. or something like that or or have some self-control and surf on the weekend or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, I, I, liked, I liked going to school so that I could skip. You know, dropping out entirely would have, then I wouldn't have 
had a chance to oh my god feel like i was committing some act of rebellion i, I would just be off in dropout land oh my god uh, i have never heard someone say that i see now now i feel like an idiot now so. no 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 so we were all 18 and like silly and ridiculous <laughs> but but back to back to the 18 it's kind of like he wants to be the cool guy Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Probably still do. Um, but, <laughs> but at some level, um, it. I think what happens is, if you start doing things that are cool to you, then you ha then you stop kind of wanting to be the cool guy. I think that's the the remedy to that. Oh. Be because then you. Um, I I really like what what um, what one of your earlier guests uh, was it was a Connor said about becoming your own best mate. I think that when you become the cool guy to yourself, you you stop feeling the need to to do it in this performative way. But back to the 18-year-old writer who who has their shit together and, and isn't an idiot. Yeah. I think I think you would sort of evaluate that person based on either what they've demonstrated thus far or their enthusiasm. I think enthusiasm is really underrated. Um, very underrated, very, when I feel like in my experience anyways, it's kind of abused when found. Yes. Oh, as, as in, we know you're stoked to be here. So we're going to like work you to the bone. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we're going to make you feel really bad if you stick your ground on certain things. Does that make I, sense? I mean, I think if you take that to sort of the darkest place that we see it in mm. the world today, um, I think one reason you don't hear You hear about uh, abuse happening in the workplace in in places like Hollywood, is because that's a place where people are dying to be, and it's their dream. Yeah. And there are people who will who will take advantage of that. Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, if, if you're if you're in some job where you don't really need the job, or it's a stopgap or something, um, and it's also not your dream then you can kind of walk away. I think yeah. it's so much harder to walk away. I mean, when something is what you've worked your whole life for. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if you turn this into a big picture discussion about work, I think you need to, we need to maybe be better about creating opportunities where someone can demonstrate enthusiasm in a way that isn't just marking them as an easily exploitable yeah. intern or I know. whatever. Yeah, it's a... Um, uh, Weirdly enough, right, I kind of uh, spoke about that with Sinead Walsh, where we were talking about how sometimes only bad things happen from desperation when it comes to the workplace. Because mm -hmm. that's what would have happened with me, is I was so desperate to find a job in Ireland with the mindset of, I don't want to come back home. I want no reason to go back to Malta, right? So that meant again in the workplace that I took, I I just got offered the first job after so many react, like rejections and stuff. And I didn't even negotiate anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't even go back to be like, I'll think about it and get back to you. I was like, yes, you know, I'll be the best person ever. And I, and I was good, but that like bit me in the ass really badly a year and a half later, you know? I've been lucky enough to be in the position where I have a project going on that's longer term and I can name fuck you prices at, where I'm hoping that if I, if I quote a high enough rate, it'll make a potential client either go away or they'll say, yeah, that's fine. And, yeah. and, um, and so far I'm, I've never, nobody's ever been like, 
deeply offended by me naming what I think is a really high price for my work. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I think again, like going back to the whole, do you, do you want to do cool things or do you want to be seen as cool? I think if I was infatuated with being a writer, I would probably be doing some job I hate to live somewhere where I think writers are supposed to live. Uh, I would probably be writing things that I don't particularly like, but I think they're what people are supposed to be writing. Um, you know, there's more than enough of that out there. I don't, I don't need to contribute to that. I'd rather, um, do things that I think are worth writing about. Um, get to know people whose stories I think are worth telling and tell them at my own pace and then use those skills elsewhere in a day job that can finance those projects. Yeah. And I'm I'm first of all, yes to everything you just said there, but it's also really interesting, right? Because a lot of people since I have consistently started posting like this podcast and all that, Younger people have come forward being like, Deb, where do you find these people? Where do you find these guests? And there's an element of the moment that you put yourself out there, they will find you. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And number two is you just have to look a little bit deeper, you know, Mm -hmm. because fair enough, everyone has a story to tell. I sometimes I wish like when it comes to the world we live in right now and like portfolios and all that. I wish that everyone told their story online and everyone was a content creator because it would make my job so much easier. So one thing that I really struggle with is finding women to jump on the podcast. And the reason for that, I think obviously it is a women's thing where like we don't, we hold ourselves back a lot naturally. And I just struggle to find, because obviously I have to go online. I can't go anywhere else, but no woman is fucking, not no woman, but uh, women like push yourselves a little bit more, right? Um, But you just have to find it too. And probably you as a writer as well, you just have to dig deeper and go beyond the general New York Times, Irish Times, like Daily Mirror, that type of shit, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I I think... um you know, the one person I'm really glad I met in college um, is a professor named Dr. Thurber. Oh, his, a good professor is going to stick around with you for a long time. And what did you study, by the way, before we get into this? In- English okay, uh, literature. I, the one, I was at least, I was an idiot, but I was I was smart enough to know that I could kind of do one thing. Okay, and I, I should stick with that. And I was lucky to have parents who let me do major that, in yeah. that instead of something uh, engineering. practical. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and he sort of tolerated me. Like he didn't care that I would show up in like damp board shorts to class or that I was hung over a lot. And, um, and he used to call these people your friends. And he said, you know, the great thing about reading is you get to pick your friends. And, um, and to him, these people were really alive. You know, Dostoevsky was alive to him. Uh, you know, Emily Bronte was as, as, as present in this conversation as you are and um and that to me is the the absolute magic of reading i I was recently i was rereading uh, matilda and one of the beautiful things about that story is is just describing what it's like to discover books and um and when i think about what that looks like in my online reading consumption 
you, you know, you, you can pick your friends. Uh, one of my favorite things to read, it's a guy named, I think it's Craig Maud. He has, a, he's an American expat. He lives in Japan. He goes on really long walks. He takes pictures of what he sees and he writes a newsletter about it. And it's beautiful. It's terrific. It's thoughtful. He's not telling me what I need to get outraged about this week. Uh, he's not reacting to anything. Um, he's not presenting some aspirational nonsense. He's not saying like that he's better than, than me or because he, of where he lives or whatever. He's very, um, anyway, I could, we could do a whole podcast about how much I like this guy's newsletter. But the point is I didn't encounter him through some kind of media blitz of someone shoving his work down my throat. I, I found him um, from a friend who, who forwarded me his newsletter. What do you think it's kind of as cheesy as it may sound being not true to yourself, but like it kind of goes back on what you said of being essentially you and then just publishing whatever that may be might attract the right people. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think there are ways to set yourself up. And I think that's what a lot of people get wrong about presence online um, oh okay and, and again i'm you know i've i don't know like i don't have like that many followers so i don't want to speak like i'm the voice of authority on this but <laughs> no. but i think being yourself doesn't mean just like just get out there as you are and let the chips fall where they may it, it's kind of like it you know it's it's in the same way you might put on an outfit that makes you feel good when you're wearing it and okay. you go out in the world and yeah um I think there are things you can do to set yourself up for making those connections, finding your people. I think that having the courage to reach out is a big one. Um, in some of these recent projects I've been doing, I've been emailing total strangers and just asking for their advice. And um, again, so far, nobody has like, slammed a door in my face, even though that's your big fear that might keep you from doing something Very like true. that. Very true. Um, uh, but then, yeah, and, and you know, the uh, the audience, for one thing, it might, like I get that the audience for sea kayaking content might not be the same as the audience for something else, and that's okay. Uh, mm. I, I think it's, it's more about, I, I think we, to use like a music analogy, you want to be the Velvet Underground in this day and age, in whatever you're doing. You want to be the, 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 you want what you do to attract the people who matter to you, not everybody, because everybody no. isn't an audience. No, um, for sure. That and also for anyone who is younger, your family is not your audience either. No, no. Um, that's and uh, that's something that I had to kind of learn mm -hmm. as I kept posting these conversations is at first at the start I was like oh my god no one within my circle is like sharing this stuff no one is supporting me yep. like who's like right there not uh, and I mean by supporting me publicly does that mm -hmm. make sense but then uh, I was talking to Finn who's an artist right and he's like your mom's not your audience though mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're like holy shit yeah you're right you know what I mean? Is it, yep. th th this doesn't apply to you because, by the yeah. way, I have <laughs> my, Charlie Daly on. <laughs> yeah, I have Charlie Daly on. <laughs> Hello, Charlie, by the way. <laughs> hey. hey. 
<laughs> See, that's what's great about not doing intros. Yeah, you yeah, end yeah. up with something that's so much better than an intro. Exactly. Like, that's how we just started it off. So Charlie would have written a book on behalf of his dad, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Basically, his ghostwriter. And, um, and hi, Daddy. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. And welcome. Um, so in this case, scenario was different for you because you wrote something yeah, my, for your dad. My family most certainly was the audience and yeah. they were my subject as well. And, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Weirdly enough, uh, when I... So I read the start of the book and the end of the book. So I cheated. And um, when it came to the acknowledgements, Jesus Christ, this was a family project. <laughs> not, not just between you and your dad. This was... All hands on deck, nieces, nephews, yes. fucking cousins, everyone, all hands on deck on this. Yeah. This is like a daddy project. All the fucking cousins. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, we've got, you know, what is it? Three generations of dailies there. And then we have, I mean, four, if you count some of the diaries we unearthed from. Is it okay if I say dally in my accent rather than yeah, yours? Yeah. yeah okay. I don't care. Um, <laughs> as long as you spell it right, daily. the states, everyone oh, wants to put an E in there. It's four letters. I'm not going to screw up. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You'd be surprised though. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, it, well. You have so much going from the start. <laughs> Like, uh, kudos to you guys for keeping records. So it, I would say it started as a solo project just for him in the sense that he had a version of this. He had started writing and he had a, a lot of it that he was, you know, he was just, it was in here he, and it was going to stay with him. And we this was in 2000 and i think we started working on this in like 2016 and um i was at kind of a weird place in my life where i mean i i had known for a while that all i wanted to do was write um there was a lot of wanting to be a writer and I, I was dealing with a lot of a lot of personal stuff, um, some mental health stuff, and um, it was what I guess you know people in rehab call it like a get well job. And okay. this for me was a book that was in my own backyard. And um, I'd been living in Korea. Uh, I came home for a couple of years, or a couple started as a couple of months, and my dad was in the middle of trying to work on this book, and he, in his own way, was sort of lost and he was stuck with a lot of notes a lot of material about a subject that was pretty raw and painful to him and i'm trying to remember whose idea it was if it was my mom's idea i think i maybe sort of suggested i would sit down with him and talk about outlining or something um that was the beginning of a two-year sort of continuous conversation that I had with him to turn oh, wow. those notes into the book that you're holding right now. Yeah. And, um, make peace or die, by the way, a life of service, leadership and nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, he led a pretty incredible life. He got to do some amazing things. He saw and did some things that scarred him forever. For sure. Um, and I think a lot of his experiences are relevant to a lot of things that are going mm -hmm. on in the world today yeah and i had just the incredible privilege to help him tell that story and no matter what i do for the with the rest of my life this is going to be the one i mean it's going to be a collaboration like nothing 
I'll ever get to do again. As in, this is legacy in paper back form. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, but it started with a conversation, and I guess the 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 big takeaway from doing this is that everyone should do a version of it. If you have someone in your life who, and and it doesn't have to be something. You know, my dad did some things that are like. I guess you could say newsworthy. I mean, he worked for President Kennedy. He's the yes. only living person from Kennedy's West Wing. Um, these are things that, you know, there are already oral histories out there with his name on them. But it doesn't have to be that. You're, you're, everyone's, if you're lucky enough to have a living grandparent, they probably have stories about a time that if they don't document it somehow... It's going to get lost. It'll get lost. Yeah, and, that's been one of my fears recently. So I've... Uh, <laughs> I live in a crisis, right? I've always had a life crisis and I recently turned 25 and I was like, oh my God, I, how, what's going to happen when I'm off? You know, like, <laughs> is it just like, I understand it's, that's it. Mm -hmm. But I was having this whole like legacy yeah. <laughs> issue going on. So I completely understand it. And, so and I was, yeah, I think I was, I was about, I was 25 when I started working on the book with there him. There you go. I, yeah, around 25. Yeah. Those quarter-life crises or crises I, are, oh, are I, I have hard. them all the time, you know? Like, I'm constantly overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, that was a, a recent one. So, I, and I recently tapped into the just like reading again and memoirs and all that. I was like, oh, wow, this is gorgeous. This is lovely to see. So, your dad is an Irishman in the U.S. Marine Corps. You mentioned Kennedy, by the way, for anyone listening, this is JFK. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> it's like it's first not, name basis in yeah. Ireland. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Jack so, and Bobby. Yeah. So <laughs> we just have to give a little bit of context to yes, everyone. Yeah. And it's really interesting, right? Because the European experience of the military versus the American one is completely different. Um, in my opinion, Europeans have a very different approach to patriotism because mm -hmm. we are such a small continent a and then even smaller countries that have their own culture where we're in my opinion we lack a little bit of unity as a continent versus america right obviously shared language shared culture that sort of thing but what was it like before i tap into the book Let's start with you and your dad. Is he alive, by the way? He is, and uh, last week he turned 95. God um, bless. Which is amazing. And um, for those of you listening, I'm turning 33 next week. And is that right? Yeah, 33. And um, it, when I was a kid, and I remember in school, we were learning about wars or mm. something. And I, I was like, oh, my dad was in the Korean War. And my teacher was like, no, he wasn't. I think you mean Vietnam. I was like, no, 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 Korea. And like his dad, my grandfather was in World War One. She's like, you mean World War Two? But um, yeah, he anyway, had you late. He had me late in life. That's my way of saying he had me late in life. <laughs> he was still going. Still um, going. <laughs> yeah, actually, the way he ended it was how did it go? It was golf, red wine, and Viagra. That's his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> secret. And I too. love that. <laughs> so <laughs> he he stopped playing tennis like. Oh yeah, tennis. two years ago, and it was because of like a balance <laughs> issue. Ninety-year-old um, playing tennis. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, remarkable. amazing. Um, so, okay, your dad was in his sixties when he had you. 
but he also had a very unique experience with, I'm not going to say PTSD, but obviously he has seen a lot mm -hmm. and he's been through a lot from a very young age. What was it like being raised by a man that went through that? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I mean, thank you for not diagnosing him. I'm not going to assume. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I, I feel like it's an exclusive experience that it, the moment that it, you wear it, that it, suit, you have PTSD. I don't think we actually used that acronym in the book. And it's only because he's not been clinically diagnosed yeah. by anyone. Um, I'm certainly not a doctor. And a huge amount of the research that went into that book was talking to people who are talking to experts, talking to people okay. who have actually studied Korean War veterans specifically, because these things can exhibit in different ways in different conflicts. Um, it, 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 so I can, I can give a whole separate thing about PTSD, but to answer your question about, I, I would say certainly based on, based on my research and my understanding of what PTSD is, what it looks like, he seems like he's someone who has lived with the untreated variety for a long time and and to his credit has done really well you know he's um the fact that it's already written down and it's splurged out is such a good sign if if i had gotten the sense that what we were doing was hurting him or or was just unproductive or and it was certainly painful and it was really hard to talk about a lot of these things but for him um for me to listen sometimes, but if there's one thing I can't stand in this genre, it's people who feel as though they've contracted some kind of secondhand whatever. I think that that is just the height of selfishness. I think if you are... Do you mean that if you're the child of... No, uh, no, 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 no. no. Okay. I, I'm talking about someone who chooses to document the experience of someone who... Oh, and, I see. Interesting. And I'm not saying that's not possible. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite nonfiction writers is a woman named Iris Chang, who coined the term the rape of Nanking, referring to the massacres that happened in Nanking, China. Okay. Um, she eventually took her own life, and she she had become sort of a uh like a repository i guess the right word for for people's stories were she, people just trauma dumping on her kind of yeah and specifically yeah. people who had experienced rape in war and, and, and yeah no and, i wouldn't want to be in that position uh, um her book is horrific it is so hard to read it's it's an incredible piece of of history her mother wrote a book about her that's equally good um my point is, if if you want to, if you decide you want to do that, and you want to you want to write about difficult topics, I think it's selfish to then go tell the world how traumatized you are by by reading about something traumatic or, okay. or talking to someone who had a hard time. There is that choice at the end of the day. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and 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 I think there are times where I mean, it's not it's good to take a break. It's yeah. good to talk about something else. It's good to read about something else. Um, Watch a comedy. Yeah, I mean, there there was a day that really sticks out in my mind when we were working on this. Um, we were I was I was driving home from I went I had, I had gone for a swim, and I was passing this. There's a really small like stone memorial in our hometown for for a, a kid who died in Vietnam when he was 19, and um, I, I just started sobbing, and I, and I was I was overcome with what it really meant that, you know, my dad was 
was 23 years old and 10 years younger than I am now when he was leading a rifle platoon. Um, he was, he was almost certain that he was going to be killed. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, he was, and he was actually kind of one of the oldest ones in his platoon. Um, Yeah. That's so strange. We were actually briefly talking about that. Was there a reason why? Is it just because the older ones had more wisdom and um, didn't want to sign up? I don't know about that. I, I mean, and again, like I've, you know, I'm a civilian, um, and I'm not an expert on yeah. military history. I know that the people I've talked to who, who are closer to my age, who've served have, have said that, you know, a 30 year old man is stronger than an 18 year old, smarter than an 18 year old. I can speak for m- myself and saying that I'm, I'm faster. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like fitter than I was when I was young. But the really important difference is an 18 year old kind of doesn't know what they're getting into. Um, no. and they're, they're not. And, um, you know, a friend of mine who's in the Marine Corps said, we have to be careful about assigning all sorts of grandiose metaphors to these things or, or projecting what we've seen in a war movie. He, he's like, the bottom line is when you're young, you, it's easier to do things that are, um, maybe deadly. Yeah. Or, or require a kind of suicidal bravery. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at what makes coming home, cause a lot, a lot of like recent data and recent studies on PTSD as experienced by veterans. And, and by no means am I saying that that's the only thing that can cause PTSD, but that's what we studied for this book. And that's what we talked about. Um, there's a lot to suggest that coming home is is what messes people up every bit as much as whatever happens um, downrange. Uh, they found there's all sorts of adjustment issues for people who deploy but don't experience any combat. And they think a lot of that has to do with returning to society from a environment that provides a lot of things that that are actually good for you. Responsibility is good for you. Discipline is good for you. Uh, togetherness, depending mm-hmm. on other people. Um, I just a couple days ago was on a, a four day uh, hike with some friends, and we brought like the absolute minimum of food. We we're covering a lot of miles every day, and there's something. And again, I'm not comparing this to war in any way, shape, or form. But there's something very healthy about that. The simplicity. Of, of, of living like that, mm. even for a short period of time, um, of thinking about your friend before you're thinking about yourself. Um, you know, something as simple as like, I wasn't boiling water without asking Chris and Richard if they wanted some too. Yeah. Uh, I see what you mean. And, and so you multiply that, turn it into a career or something. I, I think, I think everyone can relate to those experiences of, feeling useful for a change mm. or uh, having a, a, a high point in their life that they can't stay at, but they might want to go back to. And something somebody said when we were working on this book that put a lot of my dad's stories into focus is that nothing is as bad as war, but nothing's as good as war either. And so I think a lot of what made these things hard for him to talk about wasn't just the horrible stuff, because that would be hard for anyone to talk about. Um, but some of it was 
the 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 bonds he made with other people, the friendships he made. Some of it was the the guilt of feeling good about a time that included I know the horror. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Eh? So I'm going to read out like an opening statement. I'm going to go full Jocko as <laughs> back to the your book. dad did. <laughs> your dad had to experience with him. This was the first line, right? Uh, no, not really. I'm lying. In the first chapter, anyways. So this is on the funeral of JFK. As I stood on the steps that day, I thought about the killing I had done in the hills around, can't pronounce this, South Korea. I thought about the widows and the bereaved mothers of men I had led to their deaths and the Chinese and North Korean widows I created with my M1 carbine and my orders. I saw the young faces of friends who came home in flag-draped boxes. And it kind of taps in onto what you said there of there's such like a horrifying experience of feeling like this is not a sports game at the end of the day. If you won, that means that lives were lost nonetheless. And that's very scary, but I completely understand the, not even the natural pride to this experience that your dad might have had, but at the end of the day, yeah, like, uh, you know what I mean? It's a, it's something, it's a balance that I, I completely understand how a person without qualified help would battle in figuring that balance out. Absolutely. And um, I think an, an important point about the book, especially because this is for a European audience. Yeah. Um, and even if we were talking to an American audience, I, I think it's important to know that this is not a, in any way. It's not, I don't I don't know that it's an anti-war book. It's certainly not a pro-war book. No, no, um, no, no. I, th I, th I think you'd have to be out of your mind to write a pro-war yeah. book. What we wanted to do is write about what one man's experience of going to war oh, yeah. was like. And Do you think that, not even right now with social media, I'm not going to put the blame on social media whatsoever, but do you think that sometimes signing yourself up for service online is sometimes romanticized or like through like films and that sort of thing? I don't know. And Especially it, when they come back and they're like branded and whatnot. Yeah, I think I, I would say, and again, I, I want to be careful about answering questions like that because I'm, again, you I'm a civilian. You through it, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Um, the, the best I can tell you is based on talking to him. I think the way people might be stereotyped when they get back is the issue. Kind of like you said, branded. I think that mm -hmm. the idea... The single most frustrating thing when we were working on the book and I was talking about it with people was every so often somebody would just hurl really weird, creepy assumptions about veterans in my face. Um, Such as? I mean, the weirdest one was um, somebody who I don't know that well, but it, it, there was someone in my circle of friends. I, I forget. I said something about the dynamic of working with my dad. And she said, well, right, because of all the abuse. And I, I said, excuse me? Mm. And that, that, there was, there was the, and, and she, she kind of backed up. She said, oh, but I, I thought because he had been to war that he- He's an automatic it, it, abuser. And I mean, first of all, there's, there's 
stats on that being the opposite. Um, Careful you know, of your hands, by the way. Oh, on the table. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's there. You know, my my dad is an intense person. He's um, he he, but he's certainly not a violent person, or not not violent on an everyday oh, yeah. basis. And but the fact that that's floating around, and that mm. that is, and we're living in an era where people are um, more sensitive than ever about how, about how they talk about groups that they don't know anything about or that they oh, themselves sure. aren't part of media literacy my totally God. totally and and i think that's that's coming from a good place i don't always see it and because the one thing i can say is i've spent a lot of time in like so the sort of veteran social media space sure. as we were working on the book and as we were writing the book yeah and the way that disconnect plays out between civilians and uh, military um, can be really unfortunate, and it, it, it's not helping people reintegrate into society. Because I, I think at the end of the day, when people come home, it's society they have to come home to. It's not the other way around. They don't get to stay at war. You're There's right. not some alternative. Yeah. Um, like, do you think that people tiptoe around members of ser members of service? Am I saying that's right? Service members. Service uh, members. I mean, um, people that are returning. My from dad would just say Marine. Okay. He's a Marine. Okay. We're gonna go with Marine. <laughs> yeah, it's if, like it's, if he's watching or listening it, to it, like uh, I'm listening to you, Chuck. Um, so don't call him a Marine, soldier. Ex Marines. <laughs> Well, that's where it gets weird. Um, he he be he would tell you that there's no such thing as an ex-marine because okay. it's like once All always. Right. Okay, I can hear him <laughs> correcting me. We're gonna stick with marines. Um, when marines return back to society, do you think that people tiptoe around them a little bit too much to the point where it's more difficult for them to reintegrate? I don't know. I, I think you, you, you would have to ask someone who's been in uniform. Okay. Um, I know that. You know, based on what I've seen of friends coming home from kind of these more recent conflicts, um, there can be just sort of a, there's a certain awkwardness. Yeah. But I, I think we're doing better than in the past. And that, that was something. I think we're acknowledging mental health a lot more. Something that, um, and again, I, I'm, tr I'm trying to get away from equating these things with a mental health issue because it, I, a lot of times they're just isn't one, you know, one way a friend of mine put it who was in Iraq is if you're good, you're good. And with him, there wasn't anything yeah. traumatic. There was anything difficult about coming home. And, you know, he, he was in uniform then. He's not now. He's fine. Uh, for other people, it's a real struggle. I think for some people, it's kind of, it was a high point in their life. And they, they, the one thing that there's a lot of in the book is, my dad really struggled with finding a purpose, uh, mm. with finding anything that felt as as meaningful or as urgent as combat did. And he's he's lucky; he got to do some amazing things. Uh, but there's a part in there where he, he talks about he spent a good portion of his adult life basically jealous of his friends who 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 didn't come home, and and because. You know, in some sense, they stayed 19. They stayed riflemen. Um, mm. And he doesn't feel that way anymore. But the way he describes it now is he's like, I wish, I just wish they could be here with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
he talks about them every day when I made it my, when I was on zoom with him the other day, uh, for his birthday, we, we talked about some, some guys who got killed in 1951. And, um, and I mean, it's important to point out he, this was six months of his life between the time he arrived in Korea and the time he was shot and sent home. Uh, it's had more of an impact on who he is today than anything. Let alone someone let alone someone who's been around like longer you know sure yeah and you're sure. serving with people who were it's world not a war competition II either, veterans right? yeah um, exactly and uh they say that one thing i read that i thought was really interesting and it, it was it was from a guide to ptsd for war photographers and they said that trauma is kind of like radiation uh there's a there's a safe dose that you can experience even on a regular basis and be fine. Yeah. But there is a limit and you don't necessarily know what that is where you either need a break, you need to find something else to do with your life. Uh, you might need professional help. Yeah. Um, and so again, to the point of like documenting these things, mm. Yes, some of it was hard to listen to. Yes, some of it was 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 deeply upsetting. And it's completely okay if you're someone who doesn't want to write about that stuff or if you're someone who doesn't want to read about it. But I I think it would be selfish of me to claim some kind of a vicarious experience through that. Um, For sure. But, I, but you asked me a question a while ago about growing up yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the way I've I've described it before is that for him, a lot of little things are a big fucking deal, and a lot of big things are he's he's oddly calm about. I completely understand that. Like, why are your shoes downstairs and not upstairs in your room, for example? But then when it comes to my girlfriend just broke up with me and I'm 16, like, well, saws, you know? Yeah, is yeah. That it? Well. Totally. So first of all, weird you'd go to the shoes because that's a big one for him. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with, he, he never, he never wore a dress uniform. He never lived in a barracks. He went to war and he came home Yeah, and, and that was it. And so he doesn't, he's not like this straight laced, like yeah. everything has to be perfect. Like I mean, David Goggins style. Kind no, of, and he yeah. certainly didn't teach me how to iron a shirt. <laughs> um, no, you're fine. You're but, fine. Uh, but I mean, there, there, there's a thing we describe in the book where this kid sat down on the wrong patch of grass and it, there was a landmine there and he got blown up. Oh my God. Um, so when we're going to some family dinner and I'm seven and I've, and I, um, I, and like I said, I'm, I'm kind of an idiot. So I had just learned how to tie my shoes and I can't get them tied. His reaction to that, and it wasn't anything directed at me, but he was just uncomfortable. It has nothing to do with, we're going to be late for dinner or why can't you tie your shoes or whatever. He's, he's over there yeah. or at least part of him it hasn't come home and on the other hand i i've seen him in situations where something is actually on fire and he's he's completely calm and he's he's the right person in an emergency because they're calm eh um, for for that they're used to it so they're groomed that way technically you know what i mean yep 
Oh yeah. my God. Um, but, but then on the other hand, the, the, the girlfriend broke up with me. That's a great example. I, I think when it comes to things that might feel like the end of the world when you're young or when you don't have a lot of experience, um, you know, every person he cared about was, was either like dead or, or had come home with the same scars that he had or worse by the time he was 23. So I think there can be this disconnect for him of, and he, he described, and I think it also, it, it, it created this weird sort of empathy where he, there's a story in there where he had, he had a guy working for him who made a sort of a disastrous typo back in the day when it would cost a lot of money to reprint something. And this guy basically thought he was going to get fired. And my dad told him a story about a mistake he made that had fatal consequences. Mm -hmm. And so to him, who cares about a typo? Yeah. I think a, a, someone who's a micromanager, someone who their version of like the war in their life is, yeah. you know, business school or something, I, it, they might have lost yeah. it and, and thought, how does this make me look? Um, you know, yes, for sure. My career is over, that sort of thing. And sure. It's interesting, right? Because that's something that I'm trying to figure out. And probably a lot of people are trying to figure out is figuring out that balance between oh, it can always be worse. Mm -hmm. How dare you complain or something like that. But then it's also like said feelings or said experiences are valid. So, yep. uh, okay, let's put, let's put ourselves in the shoes of that guy that had a serious, made a serious typo and all that. His, ex his feelings were valid in the point of like, listen, at the end, money, career, yada, yada, yada. It keeps going forward. So in context, for sure, it could have been worse, uh -huh. you know, but where do you figure that empathy out where it's a healthy balance between I am going to be okay and um, like it can be worse off. It, like you don't, it's a solid dose of stoicism that people need in their life where it's kind of like, okay, I've got everything I need. We'll figure this out. What's next? What's next? You don't want to crumble at every inconvenience in your life. Now, let's focus a little bit on your relationship with your dad. What, how did your relationship change with him or your perception mm. of him change pre-book versus post? Did you get closer? <clears throat> yeah. It, well, I mean, it changed everything. Um, First of all, I think that what you're saying is right on the money about, and the, and I think there's a balance there because yeah. there's a way to turn that on its head and kind of weaponize it and be be cruel, where it's like cruel you know, to how, other people yeah, and yourself. How dare you yeah. have a bad day? Let me tell you what a bad day is. And yeah, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, and I'm really lucky he was never that that yeah. person. Um, but he's capable of that, and and I think. And and that's a tough one. I, I think sure. I think we're we can all look. We're find human. Ourselves in that. We're human. At the end of the day, it's. I think we're constantly striving for perfection, which is not okay. I understand <clears throat> wanting to improve consistently, but we are very hard on ourselves, and we have to like take it back a notch. Yes. Um, so as for our relationship, I think. I mean, it it was just. It, 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 every day was different working on this book. And 
I, one thing I should back up and, and mention, when he came to me with the, the sort of rough draft, he had about 180 pages. And a uh, hundred and fifty of them were about the war. They're about six months of his life, which is extraordinary considering the other things he's he's done. And having ha having been married twice, he has four children. He has grandchildren. He worked for President Kennedy. Thing in South Africa as well with Nelson Mandela. When I was in the only, I mean, the, like the, were you starstruck by your dad, considering that he shook hands and just chilled with Mandela? <laughs> Mandela. The, when I was in high school, the kind of the job I remember him having, um, I guess no, I was in middle school. I was thirteen, fourteen. Okay, he would have been in his eighties, and he was doing field work down in South Africa. Um, reporting on how a newspaper down there was covering the AIDS uh, epidemic. And that meant, it meant having lunch with Nelson Mandela. It also meant going to some places that other people on the board of directors of this newspaper didn't want to go to. Yeah. quite. And that's their words. These are people I spoke to for the book who were yeah. like, well. I was going to go there. Yeah. yeah and, and he did. And um what he saw down there, I think you talk about this, like that radiation analogy. I, I think it really upset him to see people where they were not in, in a war. They were not soldiers. They weren't even caught in the crossfire. They were just born in very unlucky circumstances. And it, I think if, if he had just done that, if he was an aid worker and that was his job, it would have affected him one way, but I think to have had his experiences before that and then see this, it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes you're helpless. Yeah. yeah, and then at the same time, I think his earlier, his experiences in war prepared him to not flinch. Oh, and, I and, see. And I think for anyone who's been in an environment like that, no one's going to be honest with you if you look as though you're uncomfortable to sit down in the place where they live. Very true. And that's that's not him. He he was hanging out there. He was drinking with those people. He mm -hmm. um, reactionless, nearly something like that, or at least understanding that you don't get to be the, the cost of being squeamish or spoiled or whatever is so great and so harmful that. You, you, it takes a, a regard for the dignity of the people around you to, uh, I see. I think that's what was motivating that. Yeah. It, and, um, yeah, I, anyway. Did I, you know that was all the stuff he's been through, he was, he had gone through or were lots of experiences new to your ears? Not fully. I, I knew about some of it. I knew he was essentially a war hero. <laughs> I had read the citations for some of his medals. Okay. Um, I knew that you can't touch his, his left arm. Mm. Um, and I knew that sometimes these things would bother him. It also wasn't, it was kind of when he retired, which, I mean, he retired in his 80s. And I, I think for him, I... Again, with labeling people, 
I mean, I'd say he's he's kind of a workaholic. Um, I, I think he probably would be the first to admit that. And I think it helped him by staying busy. It helped him keep a lid on a lot of that. And then it all just, we say in the book, like it came due with interest one day. And, okay. it, and um, was it tough for him to let things come through in the beginning or admit? I, I think again, when we, when we really got going with the book, there came a point where it became clear that he was getting something out of sharing these experiences. I see. It wasn't just, you know, suffering porn like it, it, and if it had been i think we would have had to have stopped it would it's have been purpose unethical like you kind of said it at the start of this conversation where your dad might have been lacking purpose for a very long time and the moment that you see the bigger picture in how it might serve other people and benefit other people that's where i think you go all hands on deck on a project like this yes and i think where that closeness really, it was the best days working on this book were some of the hardest days because we, there came a point where I realized this, this is a man in his nineties. It's been a long time since he's had a good fight. <laughs> and I think that the times when we were really like antagonizing each other because we didn't want to budge on some editorial point or, uh, he, just straight up didn't like the way I wrote something. Oh, or, shit. I mean, he went to journalism school. It's not as if he doesn't okay. understand how oh, writing yeah. so works. Oh, yeah, so like you had like a solid opponent. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And, and I think that there's a phenomenon with older people where their families start to handle them with care. Oh, my God. And talk down to them even. Oh yeah, they, ageism is a thing, totally. in my opinion. And there's already so much that you have to deal with with aging in terms of like just looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, oh wow, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I look like this, da 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 da. The last thing I fucking need is my adult child to baby me. Totally. I Like, oh, uh, I, I don't know how I'd deal with this, honestly. And you're... It's awful. I mean, and I think something that's kept him young was raising a family in old age. That's and, so uh, true. Yeah. It, it, I, so that, that, those are moments that I'll never forget when we were really working the, for parts of the book, I was traveling and I was transcribing conversations we had mm -hmm. over the phone or I was editing things we had already written. And then I was home for, for large chunks of it and some of those days where we would just spread out all the material i had something like a thousand pages of research notes to supplement his notes and then interviews with everybody who was still alive and willing to talk to us his whole family uh we would spread all that out on the kitchen table at one point there was a chinese hand grenade on the table that he was using as a paperweight that someone <laughs> The last mistake they ever made was throwing it at him and, um, with, and not pulling the pin. Oh, my God. Um, he's disarmed it. I, I, I think actually with Instagram's <laughs> rules, you probably can't post that picture. No, but, no, no. Um, Maybe YouTube. Who knows? But <laughs> I think was, I read that bit or it was on Jeffo's podcast that like it was mentioned. I'm pretty sure like that's a familiar thing that I consumed. Man, I, I'm go. I don't mean to sound rude or stereotypical, but like from a European perspective, this is fucking ridiculous. 
Like, like I come from Malta, you know, mm. this is like Mediterranean, mm -hmm. <laughs> like small country. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like no. for it to fit an American stereotype more than like nothing. Um, oh my God, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then he's not that guy. He's not a gun guy. No, he's no, not, no. Um, like uh, he's yeah. not like a flannel, flannel and lumberjack boots. No, and no. And, and <laughs> you know what? Um, Based, no, on, based on what I learned talking <laughs> to people who do serve, that guy doesn't go to war. He's a bit too busy at home. Oh my antagonizing God. people Ego. and and having this like fetishistic patriotism. Oh yeah. And I I come uh, this is going to be like such a side note, but I've seen a little bit of beef online between people that are like, oh I I was going to serve, oh. but um, they didn't let me because I had yeah, like everyone... said heart murmur or something, right. which you completely understand. But then they still make it that their identity that mm -hmm. they went on trial. They, they, you're right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And yeah, let's not talk shit and, about people. And the thing is, I, I think for the purposes of of talking to an international audience about service. <laughs> these are all different things right going to war is combat is one thing yeah deploying and going to war is another thing uh, being in the military is something different um and yeah, then like serving, serving your country is a whole other for sure thing and these, these things can overlap but mm -hmm. they're not they're not equivalent yeah i think the takeaway from stories like my dad's is not let's all go to war or let's all join the military or, or whatever. But I, th I think the thing I, that he probably would hope someone would take away from his story is that you owe your community something. Yeah. And when, for some people that's protecting their community, it's worth pointing out, uh, uh, you can Google a history of the Korean War. I, I won't get into it. It's it, it's called the Forgotten War for a reason. But this was not some act of American aggression trying to bully some tiny country. This is the war that saved South Korea from becoming North Korea. Yeah. And it, you can Google what goes on in North Korea to decide for yourself whether that was a worthwhile mission. I'm going to ask one thing. You might know the answer, but mm. I don't. Was the intention there to make Korea entirely South Korea there? Does that make sense? Yeah. So Okay, so now you're getting into the history of it. but no, Don't go yeah, into no, 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 it like, so, too much. So the, to, to put it simply, there's, both Koreas would agree that there is only one Korea. Okay. And that the, each believes that the other is an illegitimate... Um, puppet state set up by the superpowers at the end of World War II. Technically, there, there's a grain of truth to both stories. The, the, when World War II ended, uh, the Soviet Union influenced everything north of the 38th parallel, what's now North Korea. The United States influenced the South. Now it's a thriving democracy. It's one of the richest countries in the world. At the time of the Korean War, it was essentially a dictatorship. Uh, they were even worse off than North Korea economically. And I'm listening there, to you. <laughs> there, there was a point in the war before my dad arrived where yeah. they had basically 
achieved the the goal of sort of kicking the north out of the south. I see. Uh, okay. Following the the attack, the north just did a surprise attack mm. one day. Like I'm functioning in like west and east Germany. Sort it's of. a similar division. Yeah. And okay. Historically, one people. Yeah. Um, then China entered the war because the United States under General MacArthur made the incredibly arrogant move of going all the way to the Chinese border, essentially conquering North Korea. For the Chinese, that was an unacceptable threat to their security. They sent, I mean, literally millions, yeah. um, including, I mean, Mao Zedong's son died in the Korean War. Um, mm. And it, it, the the purpose for them was not a war with America. It was that was the price they were willing to pay to keep an American ally from the Chinese border. Yeah. Simple as that. And okay. to this day, they support North Korea because they don't want to have to sit down one-on-one -on -one with the United States to talk about. Yeah. A, those two powers, I think, especially right now with the war in Ukraine and all that, I think it started to shed a light a little bit more recently. Let's put it that way, that this shit is very much real yes and very there and something not to be fucked with yes and and it's and that's why europe is so not divided in my opinion but it's so like conflicted right now well and speaking as like a student of history yeah what we're seeing in the ukraine because i think that recent conflicts like the war in Iraq, Vietnam, obviously, in Europe, it was Algeria and what the French mm. were doing there, cast doubt on literally anything a superpower says it's doing in the interest of yeah. humanity. But in the case of what we're seeing in the Ukraine now, this is the closest thing in our lifetimes yes. to World War II or the Korean War, where it is good versus evil. There are good guys and bad guys. But you, I think it's like a game know. of chess. Like this is like a young person's experience that has never dealt with. I've never seen anything. I'm mm -hmm. not a student of history per se. Obviously Maltese history, which is a completely different topic, right? But it's quite fascinating to look at Europe right now and other higher powers in just being like, oh, wow, this is such a chess game at the end of the day wait for your ne the next person's move and then you make that it's it's a waiting game and, and media wise we're looking at ukraine and the the prime minister being like oh president or prime minister jesus fucking christ um just consistently asking for help like we don't need this waiting game but everyone wants to be careful europe especially germany does not want to fuck up mm-hmm completely which you completely understand you know and i think that's the interesting bit in this war versus previous ones is the element of history and stereotypes does that make sense well i think there's a similarity to korea in the sense that it's basically two superpowers fucking with millions of lives in a country that did not choose the war for itself um elaborate a little bit more so in this case who are the two superpowers well i mean today clearly you know you have russia invaded the ukraine and then you have 
you know, in my opinion, the response of the West has been, how can we oppose this without actually having to pay the price ourselves? Bingo. And um, I mean, I personally find that disgusting. Um, I know my dad does. Yeah. Um, Europe you know, is a little bit different right now, though, because Europe is like, don't you remember when I, I don't know if you would have followed Irish news at the, in this time, but the moment that the Irish government was like, oh, no, we strongly oppose what's happening, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was like, no, we're neutral. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I have my own opinions about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without <laughs> and and I don't want to. You know, I'm sensitive to what people think about an American talking about war. For um, sure, for sure. Uh, I think it's because no one, <laughs> based on history and like considering the material that we have right now, mm -hmm. and if you want to get educated on it, I think you'd be the thing that's for the, for the purposes of understanding the Korean War and the, and yeah. what it means for my dad's life. This is kind of, and I don't mean to be flippant, but it's sort of old school America where we really did save the day. And, you know, I've lived in Korea. When I mentioned that I'm related to a Korean War veteran, I mean, there are people who have brought me to meet their extended family wow. so they could thank me. Wow, I, I that's mean, crazy. And I, I think Americans are really, really sensitive to how we're perceived abroad, and, and rightfully so. There are a lot of innocent people in, in places like Laos and Cambodia who are missing body parts because of America thinking they can interfere in every little conflict. Yeah, yeah there is like um, that stereotype of nosiness. Sure. That makes sense. But in this case, you'd be way off if you thought that this was America doing something. Um, of, I, I don't want to say policing the world because it was literally called a policing action. They, they were doing just that. But the results are a... a vibrant democracy that you know, opposes corruption, that embraces, um, you know, human rights and mm. involvement in the global community. I mean, in the North, they have concentration camps that are open for business, like as we speak. Mm -hmm. And that would be all of Korea if it hadn't been for the sacrifices of people who were, had no, personal stake you know my dad was not he's not korean he it wasn't his war so to yeah, speak that is very true it's kind of like that okay we're gonna go back to europe right because that's the only like perspective that i can talk about but a lot of the talk is who are they to think that they are going to save let's say North Korea, just because mm. we're going to stick with this example. Who are you to think that m your version is better than that version? Which, and, and I again, guess concentration camps are not good. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we're just using that example. So but like, I, I think that's what I mean by it was kind of old school yeah, yeah, America yeah, yeah. in the sense that I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say that even the worst democracy is better than the best dictatorship. Mm. And okay. Yes, I agree with you. That's yeah. again. Okay. Let's move it a little bit <laughs> further than that. Do you think that America's democracy right now is good? <laughs> uh, Whoops. Spicy one. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, I would say that 
Talk shit. Talk shit. Okay, so first of all, I have a personal rule. If I'm not on American soil, I do not criticize America. Oh, um, that, that well, Europeans should like follow suit. Well, actually. no, no, they can do whatever they want because it's not, they're not, that's not their home. It's not where they were born. It's not the country yeah. that gave them an education for free. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up enjoying the protection of the Marine Corps and I didn't have to do a fucking thing. I, I pay taxes every now and then. Okay. Um, and, and I think, and so, so the, you're saying like, in terms of, I am not at war, right? In my country, like I, no one I, is invading. I the, see the it US. as like the home team. I, I see. I, and what I don't like is when I am in a hostel in, in Japan or something, and there's some American who is trying to sort of score I am not by, your by, regular yank. Yeah, I, I know you know I'm not <laughs> yeah, Donald yeah, yeah. Trump or George W. Bush, so yeah. I don't feel the need to prove that. Yeah. And um, what it, about right now, though? Um, I, I completely no. I'm <laughs> that not. Sounds so dumb. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, no, no, no. You're you're not dumb, <laughs> and I think it is quite common, and I am probably guilty of that in terms of. I, I think my experience is a little bit different and probably like some Americans might have to deal with that too, where the moment that you leave your country and you're talking to nationals, they're like, oh, why did you leave America? Mm -hmm. Silly. Why are you here in Ireland? Why did you leave Malta? It's this exotic place. So naturally you go, ah, you know why? Mm -hmm. List. Yeah, and, and I... I I'm not saying I don't have a list. No, no, I no, do. no. Um. We all have a list, but I think I am definitely guilty of presenting said list rather mm. than being like, mm -hmm. listen, there's a list. So I'll take that on board moving forward. And, but and, and I think I think the the other side though, I definitely romanticize America when I'm not there. Yeah. There's a reason I don't live there. Yeah. Um I think that's something that people should understand is when someone moves country, there's a reason why they're not there. Yes. And are you comfortable talking about your reason why? Mine are kind of simple, logistical. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm, I married a woman from Switzerland. I'm an Irish citizen as well. I'm a dual citizen. It's, it's easier for us to both live here than for her to get a green card or something. There's nothing really deep. There's no reason I would go live in the United States mm. and I like it here. Yeah. Um, I'm also very proud of being Irish. I, 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 with an American accent, <laughs> yeah, that's he the, said it. I got it out of it. No, and, and there's, you know, I, I'm very <laughs> self-conscious of the fact that my American passport makes me American. Yeah. If you went and lived in America and got an American passport, I would consider you just as American as I am. But my Irish passport, I don't think fully makes me Irish, and I, I'm I'm hyper aware of that. No, no, no. <laughs> if I were to get an American passport. Tilda's, so obviously EU, I have a Maltese passport. There's no point in me getting an Irish one unless mm -hmm. Malta completely fucks up. If right. I were to get an American passport, though, I don't think... It, I, you wouldn't feel American. No. <laughs> it's, I think it's just like a shared experience yeah. that is exclusive to Americans, Irish, you know, mm -hmm. only. And that's the beauty of just like countries, I think. Yeah, yeah. and... And I think one of the nice things about travel is you get to be from somewhere and kind of nowhere at the same time. I love uh, being I, a number. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm not a nationalist. I, I think there's America 
makes a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of things like what I find interesting as someone who, who travels and who has spent most of my adult life on the move, I'm interested in the things that aren't so great about America that Americans might not even realize. And, and then the flip side, things that where Americans don't even know how good they have it. Um, so your question about American democracy as, as all over the place as it's been in the past few years, there haven't been summary executions. There are, there are things that are just day-to-day life for some people. We're seeing it now in the Ukraine that no American in modern times has had to experience. And that's where I want to just shake people and tell them to shut the fuck up when, when, um, or they've not in any way been connected to the sacrifices that other people have made for them to guarantee those freedoms. Um, so. Yeah, you're right. I think that's something that was highlighted again, going back to Europe and their responses. The moment that countries said, oh, we side with Ukraine and we are not neutral. Everyone was like, no, we're not. I am not going to serve. I am mm-hmm. not going to sign up. Fight the politicians fucking fight it instead. Mm-hmm. There was like a collective response of yeah, I'm not going to do that, which I I am perceiving as an acknowledgement of the service that uh, the Marines do. Yeah, and there you can't remove this from issues of of class yeah. and background there aren't if you've ever been to washington dc or if you plan to go out arlington cemetery is 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 a powerful place to visit and so is the vietnam wall and i think it's interesting to read the names on there because what you see are surnames from all over the world and you look at my dad's platoon he was an irish immigrant his family had a lot of money, unlike a lot of Irish immigrants, and they lost it. And his his dad was in failing health. And he, I'm not saying he joined the military because he didn't have a lot of options, but but he the fact is he didn't when he did. Yeah. And he owes a lot of what came next yeah. to the military. Oh, yeah. Sometimes um, I say it like very often in the sense of, of course, like, my people's perception of America, especially when it comes to education and all that is, oh my God, hundreds of thousands in debt and all that kind of stuff. But the opportunity that that country provides is a privilege, yeah. you know? And, and the people who are paying the price for those privileges, um, they're, they're men like Gunther Dosi, who was in my dad's um, platoon. He didn't speak English completely yeah. when he was in, he joined the Marine Corps because Marine, and he came from Germany. He was he was fleeing the the Russians at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. He was a teenager. He, the Marine means Navy in German. He thought he was joining the Navy to live like live on a Poor ship guy. and get warm food. Yeah. He ends up in Korea, sleeping in the dirt. And you know, when I look at what I'm seeing now in the Ukraine, Russia, where are the oligarchs' kids? Right. These are the people where every single thing they have in life, they owe to this sick little system they have over there. They're at Oxford. They're at Yale. The, none of them are in the army. No. 
you know, um, I, I, I seriously doubt whatever that the guy won, uh, the guy owns uh, Chelsea football club. I don't think he has any children in the infantry. No. Um, and if that's not an indictment of, and, and that's not unique to Russia, um, you know, Biden's kids have served in this day and age. That's, unique. I think one didn't survive or something. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the details of that, but, yeah. um, that's, that's rare in this day and age. We have a couple senators and, and congressmen and women who, who've, who've, um, who've served. And again, we're in a time where everything is about representation and, and, um, diversity. Mm -hmm. That is a group. It's, I, I think it's 1% of the American population. Um, we don't elect enough of those people. No, no, uh, that's, you don't. Yeah, that's true. But on the positive side, the thing that my dad was just absolutely blown away by with the reaction to his book is the, the extent to which people our age cared about his story, wanted to hear about it, wanted to, we've gotten emails from literally all over the world after he was on Jocko, either thanking him, telling us what the podcast meant to them, uh, telling us what the book meant to them. And he got more of that in a few weeks after he did the podcast than in the 60 years after, life. after he, because at the end of the day, like when the Korean war was happening, the American people didn't care that it was going on. No, they were watching television. They were buying cars and the Marines were at war. America wasn't at war. And it's the same, it's the same today. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, so I, I don't think it these things cut along patriotic lines. And I don't think that the, the people who do these jobs for us are just waving the flag all day, every day. That's, that's not what it's about. To my, it doesn't look fun. No, or I don't know. I mean, for my dad, it was about, it was about surviving. Yeah. He had a kid he hadn't met yet. His, yeah. his wife was pregnant when he, when he deployed. Um, and it was about his, his friends Yes, and the, the, the people around him, that was his country. That was his cause. That was his war. Yeah. And I think the stuff that really broke his heart, the stuff that he had never talked to me about until we got into this book was seeing that it was exactly the same, exactly the same for the, for the, for the, the Chinese and the North Koreans. Mm. Um, and there, and uh, he describes in there that he, he had to go through the pockets of a man he killed because he's an officer. He has to collect intelligence and there might be papers and maps and he, he doesn't find intelligence. What he finds is a photograph exactly like one that he has of, of, of his wife and his baby. Yeah. Where's, <sighs> where's the, what what does that have to do with patriotism and international affairs? And that's, I think... that That's where it gets personal. Yes. More, more than anything, if you've listened this far through me bumbling my way through a Korean history and, and defending my feelings about America, this is not a book about war as generals and politicians see no. it. This is a book about combat, and this is a book about a man carrying a pack and a rifle she you know 
pointing it at, at other young men who are just as scared as he is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's about how, you know, these are not like, again, this is a disservice we do with, with, with war movies and, and with patriotism. These, these aren't superheroes. No. They're, they're people like, like us. Yeah. Like with a little bit of like mental training and all that and mm -hmm. physical, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it can be done. We're going to let go of the book a little bit, although I know that it is your baby. I'm claiming oh. it to be your baby, but you're also working Feels on another way. baby. I am. Yeah. Um, not an actual one with like, <laughs> <laughs> unless you are, I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about that. The lap. <laughs> the lap. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things. Every time I talk about it, I'm, I'm kind of saying, well, I don't want to talk about it too much. And then I end up. You're on Irish soil and you're going to kayak around Ireland in 2023. Yes, they, uh, that's the plan. Um, so I've been a kayaker my whole life it, and moving to Ireland full time has allowed me to just devote every free moment to this to sport. To writing and kayaking. That's what I do. I write, I kayak. Do you kayak with headphones on? Oh, uh, not with headphones. Uh, sometimes I'll have an audiobook or or um, music okay. going. And it's funny. And this is rain or shine. I'm yeah. going to take over this part of the conversation, yeah. Charlie. So rain <laughs> rain does, is not a factor. I don't even okay. look at whether it's going Wind. to be raining or not. Wind is a big deal because that dictates where you, where you, you want to go, where it might be unsafe to go. Yeah. I if, get that. If, if there's a gale blowing, does you don't go Does it slow you down quite often considering you're in Cork? It, Yes. So, and I'm on Bantry Bay, which is kind of this, almost like a wind tunnel. There's hills on both sides. And oh, wow. it, the bay itself can get really choppy because of all that contained water. And we get, we're open to swells from the, from the Atlantic. Mm. Uh, yeah. Wind is, wind is everything. And sometimes it, you deliberately will go into the wind all, all day and have an easy ride home. And then other just times you want the, it the other way just around. ride the wave with like your oar up <laughs> yeah it, well well what you can do coming home is you get on what's called a downwind and you can ride waves a little bit oh wow but in my experience a following wind following seas as in like pushing you is never as helpful as a headwind slows you slows you down mm. but the the main thing here, weather changes quickly. You you really have to be on top of it. It's a safety issue, <laughs> and you can't always go out, especially in the winter. Yeah. Uh, but this last winter was really mild. I got a lot of time. It was. But it's funny about the audiobook question. I'll talk to people where for them there's this purity in nature. Why would they want to listen to a podcast or something? But once you spend enough hours out there, <laughs> it's just your environment. Yeah. Uh, when I was. This winter, I was I was working on roles, just constantly and practicing in rougher and rougher like, is it water. Like going like, yeah, where you roll back up after you've capsized. Oh my God. And um, aren't you scared of like hitting your head on a rock? Do you wear helmets? It's pretty deep. In, oh, is it? But close to shore, you might put a helmet on. Okay. Uh, there's a way to do it if the water's really shallow, where you kind of tuck. I'm sorry. I'm just like <laughs> picture. I'm no, a very visual I, person, and I, I'm just picturing open water with you in like, and. And that's the thing about like the lap. I, I get so many questions that are um, <laughs> because you say kayaking around Ireland and. It, it, yeah, they first you have like, to explain you don't mean like around like here and there like doing a bit of kayaking. I mean circumference making a 
circumnavigating, I guess, is the nautical term. Would you be, like, are you planning on you being, I'm not saying close to shore, I understand, like, tides and all that kind of stuff, but would it be the certain distance where you can see Ireland with your eye, or is it just water around you? Well, fucking shark whale popping up. This is the part where my mom needs to turn the podcast Sorry, off. Sorry, <laughs> Christine. So, uh, oh yeah, it's actually called "Don't Tell Mom I'm Kayaking Around Ireland." That's uh, yeah, that's the tagline. <laughs> I'm telling. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say this right. Your dad talks about his mother uh-huh. and how he worried her so much, and I think this is just like a generational DNA thing. I'm gonna diagnose you with you, you guys, right? with worrying your mothers <laughs> guilty guilty <laughs> definitely and i think where he and i are a lot alike is the only thing worse than the worry we might create by doing stupid things or things that seem really dangerous is like the person i am when i don't get to do those things oh and i'm, I'm just that's kind worse of in, insufferable <laughs> and, I th- and i think people can take that and apply it to their life not just like going to war or kayaking around ireland it's like you're always going to worry your parents yeah sure sure but- and and i think a lot of times so so first let me answer your question it depends um if you want to go around quickly, you don't hug the shore. You you take a lot of shortcuts, and that means paddling across bays. For example, Dublin is tricky from what I understand because there's a lot of boat traffic in and out, so you have to cross mm. that channel. Uh, but the biggest crossing is is Donegal Bay, the whole thing. That takes it's a, it's a full day, and for long stretches of it, you are many, many miles from shore, no you can't see the shore. Um, give you another example. If you've been to the Cliffs of Moore, Aran Islands, yeah. one way to do it is from, I think, is it Kilkey to Doolin, Doolin across to the Aran Islands. But you could also just go Kilkey, Aran Islands mm. in one very, very long, very, very far from shore paddle. How do you know where you're going? Do you have a compass? You have a compass, um, but you have a map because the compass alone doesn't really tell you. It just tells you which direction things are. You can then, so if I wanted to get my bearing in this room, right, I could figure out, okay, I'm this many degrees from that camera, this many degrees from you. If I had a map of the room, I could draw two lines and X is where I am. You could then do that if you were off Dublin with the smokestacks that you can see from shore. And and that's why people lose their lives at sea. <laughs> no, no, it's not doing that. It's not knowing where you are. No. Uh, uh, if you were to tell me, Deb, go figure that shit out. Know that you're going to see a new story of me being dead. Oh, yeah. But that, that's just, and this is what I've... I, no, but like, how do you get that skill? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, do you, you fucking sit down? You you learn. I'm really lucky. I So I volunteer with the local lifeboat. Um, okay. That, and we study chart work, we learn how to navigate. I've been doing a lot of this stuff my whole life in, mm. in little boats and sailboats. Um, my dad got me on the water really young. Um, and there is, once you learn these things, it's like learning to read music. Nature, yeah. You can make sense of these things. You can sort of predict what a wave is going to do as you see oh, yeah. it moving through the water. Oh yeah. My dad was a windsurfer and mm-hmm. I remember him trying to explain to me the fucking direction of the wind and your sail and all of that. And I'm like, mate, 
just put me in a scuba suit and let's go diving. Yeah. Like, uh, th- that was it for oh, me. Diving is like really. Oh, it's so peaceful. The, yeah, but it's dangerous. Like, you got it. Same thing. You have to do, you have to know what you're doing. Oh, I, I was in a scuba and, suit at eight. There you you go. know, like, it's very different, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't have my license or anything, but. <laughs> you're just. We were just, uh, sorry, Pa, but <laughs> like we, I was just scuba diving with my dad. He just got me a baby tank, you know what I mean? Mm. And like we went, I think he has a license. Um, I think the water is, the, if you're a water baby, there's something about it like being so peaceful. Mm. I hate swimming, but I love the water. The, there is something really powerful. There's a reason they use water in different types of therapy. Oh, it's I, a beast. And there's... I don't know where I heard this, but they say, you know, water makes strong people weak and weak people strong. Um, I was a, I was a strong, scrawny, uncoordinated kid. I was terrible at every sport ever. You put me in the water and I, all of a sudden, you know, I could hold my breath forever. Wow. I wasn't afraid of waves. I, I just, it, and, um, you know, same, like my, my dad can't use one of his arms. That doesn't matter when you're when in, the water. in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and I think it it's also unforgiving though yes and uh, I think my experience with the water like with malt and Mediterranean being just like seeing migrants like leave Africa and coming to Malta right I think there's a element of looking at the water differently just being like this is very unforgiving too so you have to respect it there's um there's a woman you should have her on the podcast because she's her books are amazing. Her name's Roz Savage. She, she's I oh, believe that's a gorgeous name. Isn't that a great name? And so that's like her honest to goodness name. It's not like wow. a sounds like a name you no, give no, yourself. No, in a that's rock a band, rock star name, yeah. right? She uh, was working, I think, at UBS or something. Had this midlife or quarter life crisis and decided to uh, I think be the first woman to row solo across the Atlantic. Which I mean, that's a whole other um, well, okay. beast, but. She, her recommendation to people who want to do this or something similar is you have to train like your life depends on it because it does. Yeah. You know, it, I am doing everything I can to seek out the best training equipment, advice, weather forecasting. And the other side of that is if something were to go wrong, it's essentially my fault. And, um, I think when you're a kid and you just want to like play in the surf, you, you take risks where it doesn't mean anything, but when you get a little older, you, you realize that that you're paddle boarding without your life jacket, your, yeah. And, and there's, yeah. there's, you're going out at sea without knowing how to swim. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe people do that, but they do. Yeah, um, they and do. I, I taught surfing lessons at one point and I remember asking like having I, I learned that i had to ask people do you know how to swim because people sometimes would show up not knowing how but but it's it's interesting you bring up the, the migrants right at the end of the day this is a sport yeah and when i think about what those people the kind of fear they must be experiencing oh, yeah. in open water it's very scary i just it's it's not even something i can imagine that was probably um, one of my life-changing experiences was doing a class in migration uh, mm. sorry in mediterranean and like migration studies and part of the class was taking us out on the boat and being led by first of all a document documentary by the union itself but then we were also taken out on the boat and the guy goes where you're standing there he's like 
there was a 19-year-old boy dragged in that was clearly lifeless and dead with a very clean wound neck to neck. And he said he was shot while being thrown on the dinghy because he refused to give his cap, the only thing he had left, to the fucker. That's what I'm going to say. That like dealt with like putting them on the dinghy. And I think that was like very life-changing in my opinion, because it's just like a completely different perception you have of these people going over and crossing borders in this way where it's like, oof. And the sea is so profoundly terrifying oh. on its own. Oh, like it, I scream if seaweed touches my toes. And that's, yeah, <laughs> like, and, and it, it, yeah. It, 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 it doesn't care. And mm -mm. again, so that's where... I think you always have to approach the ocean with an attitude of humility, and yeah. and part of that in this day and age is understanding what what those people are going through. Yeah, um, I'm kayaking around Ireland, right? My, on my mother's my mother is Irish American, uh, and on her side, I, I, I forget how many greats it was a few generations ago. Her, you know, great 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 somebody came over. We still have a box uh, that she had. It's like a little wooden lunchbox of some kind, like a and it, she had some food in it or something for the voyage. I mean, it couldn't have been enough for a month at sea or however yeah. long it took. I'm not going to experience anything like no. what she must have gone through looking at those waves crossing that ocean with a totally uncertain future. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is a sport. Yeah. The yeah. only um, <laughs> You were asking about what my dad was like as a, as a parent and... Because he's older, I think he didn't, he didn't really, like, I never got grounded. Like, he didn't sort of give a shit about that. You were also the third child. Well, right, except I was the oldest in our, like, household. Because uh, yes, my brothers yes. were, like, my mom's age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, like, he, he was, at that point, like, he didn't care about, like, the sort of <laughs> disciplinary side of parenting. He, he was over it. And, um, and he said, the only rule in our house is don't drown. So <laughs> yeah, I've got to live up to that one. Yeah. But you know, I, yeah, I can't imagine what the ocean is like no, for someone no, no. who doesn't have yeah. some of these skills. Did you see any dolphins? Uh, quite often. Yeah. E even in Bantry Bay, I see oh, them. My God. Uh, a lot of porpoises, probably someone, someone who knows about dolphins is probably shaking their heads saying, no, that's a porpoise, not a dolphin. What's the difference between the two? I don't know. I, okay. There you, you go. They're have fucking on, have on dolphins. The, uh, the whale and dolphin group. Um, <laughs> have you seen a whale? Tell me all the I, wildlife. In in life, I've seen a whale. No, I no, in, in Ireland. Ireland. Okay. I, not like out Seals? in my kayak. Um, all those every single time, almost. Really, I have to um, come out to you. I haven't yeah, seen I'll, a seal yet. We'll go. We'll take you out kayaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those things where sometimes I've taken people kayaking, and they're like, "Do you think we'll see a seal?" It's like you're going to be bored with seals by the really? time we get out of the water. Oh my There's god! So many. I've never. That's the weird thing about like my experience being around the water is that like we would have seen like really nice red crabs mm. <laughs> and starfish. The, the seals aren't those. there. Like we don't have seagulls. My parents are impressed when they see a seagull. Oh really? And it's like that fucker stole my donut. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> well, and the cool thing about Ireland or going around any island, right, is you get a couple different. Have you seen puffin? I have not. I, I I went one time to the Skelligs and saw yeah, them yeah. on a on a boat, but okay, I've never seen them out in my kayak. I'm sure I will yeah. when I go to oh kind of where God. they. But that's just it, right? There's parts of Ireland where you just it's so clear that you're out in the middle of the North Atlantic, um, and 
there are places where you're just so far from anything. Yeah. But then there's also, I mean, Dublin is a coastal city. And apparently one of the challenges of camping on the East Coast of, of Ireland is finding a place where you can set up your tent, excuse me, and not be bothered. And because there's just millions of people here. Yeah. Um, so, and, but Ireland. Oh the, yeah. Like I'm going to say something really strange the other day and we went out to, where did we go? Black Rock. And you just see someone just casually walking in the sea. Right. So like we're talking knees deep, just like out walk, for a walk, out for a walk, like back. Um, Charlie, I'm not exaggerating. Backpack was on. Amazing. And walking to the point where you don't see them anymore like oh like out out oh yeah but right. but like not far out like directly just let's have a casual walk around the coast in the water and disappear into the unknown and i was like the fuck is happening yeah, over here like you have you don't have peace in dublin to the point where you have to fucking walk out 150 meters yeah <laughs> to be left alone oh, oh fuck man. me i didn't take a photo of that person <laughs> I, yeah, I hope they hope they made it back okay because you can get stuck by the time th that's something that my dad had to teach me because we don't have tides okay right so and he had to explain to me of like listen deb it might look the water might look really far out but don't trust it because Mm -hmm. it could come in without you noticing and then you're screwed but on a on a the technical side i mean yeah. that's the hardest part about planning this trip is some of the the what are called tidal gates so like places where okay. the tide flows around so fast mm -hmm. that you are completely committed to going around that that headland no matter what happens no matter how rough it is you are going yeah. it's like going down the drain yeah. you have to know when because it's going to go both ways a couple times a day yeah you have to know where those are and, and, um, but I'm, I'm really lucky. I've had, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there aren't very many people who have done this period. No. Um, I think about a hundred people have done it. About okay. 30 of them have done it solo. But, How long is it going to take you? You're I mean, estimating. Probably six weeks at the, the record is 23 days. I'm not going to be anywhere near okay. that. Oh my God. Um, so you'll just be out at water for six weeks? Well, you, you'll camp on land every night or okay. occasionally a B&B okay. or somebody's house or something like that. Okay. Uh, All right. So like your wife is going to be informed? Yes. And she, I, I think one thing that's really cool, she's going to be working on a novel during <laughs> that time and she's going to use my trip I'll as a stop deadline. you too. <laughs> Oh my Power god! Couple, Fuck right? off! <laughs> yeah, she's she's gonna she's doing it. She's she was like, first thought that's a long time for you to be away. Second thought that's exactly the right amount of time to set myself a deadline for the first draft of a novel. Crazy, um, which is great. Uh, <laughs> Does yeah. that mean that she needs you out? <laughs> I mean the. Her, that's a, there's no such thing as a solo expedition no her patience with me already yeah. just talking about this all, all the time because again training like your life depends on it if i'm not obsessed with this for the next year i am being negligent and i am putting everyone who cares about me at risk very true uh so i, I better obsess yeah. And so I see. sometimes that will spill over into like every single conversation. <laughs> and especially because up until this point, I haven't really talked about it no. with anyone um, besides Dominique and then a few people who have done it. 
and and that's another thing i'm and i want to give a couple shout outs i'm I've, i'm so lucky that here in ireland there are a lot of people who've done this a lot of people who have really just like blazed trails in this sport talking about like how easy i have it compared to my great 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 grandmother i don't even have to be this isn't even uncharted territory for yeah. me there's there's so many people who mm, who have I see what you mean. Who've, who've done this and who i can dm and and ask them for their advice and they will gladly give it to you yeah and so i uh about and i'm, I'm actually so i'm going to be documenting all my training and then hopefully day to day in a newsletter like during the trip i don't want to blog because the last thing i'm going to want to do when it's 10 o'clock at night and i'm just getting off the water because it's still light out in june yeah in um I'm wet and I'm cold. Uh, I need to cook my dinner and go to bed. The last thing I'm going to want to do is format something on WordPress. Uh, but I can type a really quick email to just yes. let anybody who who cares to follow this know how I'm doing. It's called the lap.substack or something. I'm sure you can put a link. Um, I'll try my hardest. <laughs> and in the, well, in the meantime, I'm going to document my training. Um, a lot of that's on the water, but a lot of it is is at home studying mm -hmm. charts doing mental preparation. I'm working really closely with a guy named Mike Jones who did it in 2015, I think. He okay. did it alone in 34 days. And wow. uh, to do it that fast, he took some incredible direct crossings. And I have, he sent me his GPS files. It's uh, crazy. Like he gave you the blueprint. The, it to, but it's but. like, catch me if you can. I mean, wow some of these i'm just looking and it's like wow that is so far from shore <laughs> oh my god <laughs> because I the see. alternative would be to spend yeah. five days going around yeah. the long way and um a guy by the name of john hines who's down in kinsale who has the i'm gonna get the name wrong but the the outdoor center there the kinsale anyway there's a there's an outdoor center based in kinsale, Visited. kinsale is very small you'll and find it <laughs> he is just I mean, there was a there was a boat I had in mind that I wanted to get made for this okay. over in over in Wales. He has one of the same model. He let me try his. Oh wow! He is just, and from what I understand, he has made himself available to everyone because he lives on the route around Ireland, and he has helped people plan their own laps. Um, Crazy. He's he's he makes himself available to people on their way. Yeah. Um, and it's just been nothing but support. Um, guy by the name of Joe Leach has done it. We've been DMing a little bit. He's helped me out. Um, David Horkin, who just won. Um, this means nothing to non-kayakers, but the Devises Westminster race, it's it's down the Thames, I guess. It's a, it's a river race. And I think he's the first Irishman to win it. Absolute legend. Uh, he's the one who actually sold me my boat. And I think like this is where... You know, I'm not going to trash talk America, but I am going to praise Ireland if, okay. if you'll bear with me. This is what makes this particular expedition so special. It, there's something about Ireland. People are so generous. People are just selfless and and enthusiastic. And there's no what's in it for me or or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's been the most welcoming thing and and you, there's always imposter syndrome yeah. you, you're coming into something like this thinking well a can i even do this mm -hmm. uh 
should I e- yeah. e- even do this? It's and so then, interesting though, because Irish people like to talk shit about Irish people and saying notions and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've come across it. Sure. And like my experience is very similar to yours in that I think it's just like an element of not even generosity, but coming across with no bullshit. Yes. Yes. There's, you know? there's, there's a real... They see the sincerity. Um, Which... If you're not sincere, I don't see why you should be catered to, in my opinion, no, either fuck, way. You know what I mean? Fuck that. I mean, like, exactly. A real turning point, I think, in my thinking about reality and my, my, just how I approach life yeah. was when I learned that being like apathetic and indifferent and, and dismissive mm. is not funny it's not charming it's not anything you you suck if that's like if you're insincere and you're and and this is the kind of shit happens to you yeah like and there's certain things in life like you can't sarcastically run an ultra marathon you can't sarcastically paddle around ireland and even if you do no one's going to congratulate you and you deep down would know Mm -hmm. that that was not it Yes. Yes. You're fooling yourself. I think a lot of people say that to teenagers, especially those ones that are really good at exams without studying, for example. Mm -hmm. They're like, you're only fooling yourself. How often do those kids hear it? But when it comes to adulthood and like achieving things outside of work, unless work is your thing, people will spot that no bother and you will not keep up with that. Yes. And I think that's right. I think when it comes to approaching mentors, it's really important, though, that you don't come across as as thinking they're going to somehow do the work for you or give you a shortcut. I think that I think showing up with a willingness to learn, a willingness to admit that you don't know everything, because I mean, if you are sincere, the you have to live with the fear that you could fall flat on your face or that someone might. You I are think, a student to the sport, eh? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I mean, I was almost like naive level of, of. What made it, you decide that you wanted to kayak around Ireland? It was something I knew existed as a, as a thing humans have done since I was a kid, because we had this book called on Celtic tides by a man named Chris. Chris Duff, who's an American, who did it in 1996. And um, I was already, I was kayaking, I think I started kayaking when I was maybe seven. Um, I got so lucky. And and part of, part of this too, this trip is for my mom. That's why we're calling it Don't Tell Mama. Okay, so it's for her, but don't tell her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, I, I was an incredibly like hyperactive kid. I was really easily bored and I found boredom intolerable uh, my connection to ireland is that my family would come back here every summer and we had a cottage and it, it was right on bantry bay and for the whole summer my brother and i could basically do whatever the fuck we wanted we just it, it, it was like we were just you know taking trips in boats alone once we learned the skills like yeah. the first time i did a kayaking expedition it was a couple of miles from home. It was my buddy Aon, who's basically my third brother, and Kevin, my my brother, my younger brother. We got a bunch of like Tato crisps. 
our kayaks were like the sit on top kind at the time. And we, we put all our, our gear into bin bags and we just, we, we had wetsuits and we like paddled off and for, I don't know, like 10 kilometers down the yeah. shore, we found a little cove. We slept there. Awesome. We woke up really hungry because like Tato isn't a real dinner. No. <laughs> Especially when you when even you've, if you shove it in bread. <laughs> totally. And um we were I, I forget how old we were. We were pretty young when we did this. And and then we put on like wet wetsuits in the morning, which uh, is just horrible. Nope. And, and that doesn't and that doesn't get easier. And um and then we went home. But th- th- that was that was summer. That was the kind of yeah. stuff I was doing. And you talk about your scuba diving as a, mm. as a little kid. You know, I was lucky that I had adults who trusted me to, oh, yeah. to learn from my Snorkeling, mistakes. Snorkeling, everything, yeah. You know, if you're a kid who lacks structure and boundaries, the ocean will give, give it to you. you. I mean, there is a reason that like lost young people have been joining the navies and the, the seafaring professions yeah. since the dawn of time. And, and then I went back to school in uh, every September in what on the outside is like a, like a totally perfect upbringing. Um, but I, I just, I was totally miserable. I hated it. I, I, I couldn't stand how boring everything was. I, I couldn't stand how none of it seemed to relate to anything that mattered. You know, everyone around me had really what I considered really dull interests. And I mean, granted, I sounds like I, had an attitude problem and <laughs> i certainly did but uh oh at that moment in time though i think especially when you have it and for you it being kayaking or for you it being the water i completely understand how nothing seems useful in that moment in time that's right and i, and I think for those of us who have something like adhd mm-hmm. or even depression it can be really helpful to have something that allows you to narrow like i was saying yeah. on that camping trip with my friends it's like if you're not boiling water to get dinner ready you're wrong mm. it, and none of it what what you know your out of office reminder for your your work email that doesn't matter your you know what each of us does in our day jobs doesn't matter uh backgrounds upbringings it's like are you fully involved are you immersed in in this in this and if you're not like we're we're gonna be we're gonna be hungry then who are you yeah and 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 so that that i'm so lucky that i found things that allowed me to find that kind of focus um writing certainly did that but that came later and uh my mom recognized when I was really young that I needed something. And she signed me up for this like community center kayaking class. And it was just like, it. yeah, I just, I fell in love. And I, I, I got a, a, a kayak from their like disused rental fleet that I still have. Uh, and it, it doesn't, it's like a kid's kayak. And I'll so I can't really use it anymore without tipping over, but, <laughs> but, uh, that was a birthday present one year and it was just, it was, and, and then, you know, I developed other interests. I, I, um, moved away from all that stuff and then kind of, uh, you know, like I said, I was a real idiot through like my teenage years and my twenties. And then I, you, I think when you go through a period of like getting your shit together, you kind of return to who you really are. And for me, that was, uh, you know, trying to challenge myself in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, a few years ago, my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, oh. she's doing great. 
Um, she has she has a, a really good doctor. She so far her checkups have shown that it, it's not progressing very fast, which is great. Good on her. Um, and she's she's amazing. She goes walking every single day. She's just has the best attitude. And so th- I'm going to try to raise some money for with this event for um, for Parkinson's research, and you know we'll see how that goes. But when she got that diagnosis, like me being someone where I, I need to be doing something, it was instantly like, okay, well, like w- which like race do I sign up for, or whatever? <laughs> and nothing against doing five Ks and and things like that. I think that's great. Um, I. I do them every chance I get. I felt a need to match whatever I was going to do as a as a fundraiser for 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 her to the seriousness of of that diagnosis. And to me, like it's not that these two things have anything to do with each other, but this is something that contains the unknown in abundance and, and, and it's going to involve facing fear every day. Um, you know, I, I expect to pretty much be, be uncomfortable. No rest for a very long time as well. Yeah. And again, like that is what it is, but it, it doesn't compare to wondering in what way your body is going to fail you over the next few years. Yeah. And so like the least I could do is find something really, really, really challenging yeah. so that I'm having to do some work mm-hmm. on, on my end and not, and, and not just cross a finish line that I know I'm going to cross. Um, oh no, you're so right about that. <laughs> I always wondered why people sign up for this stuff, especially like I'm not saying with charity and all that. I understand awareness, but I always feel like it ends at the finish line, mm-hmm. especially if you are a runner, if you are this, but I get what you mean now. I don't know if I will finish it, but I'm going to. Right. Like right. I'm going to figure it out. Right. And it's there's a, I think... Knowing you're not going to quit is different from being certain that you are going to finish. And and I think that that's important. Um, That's the beauty of struggle, I guess. eh? Like finding the beauty in struggle. I think so. And I I think there's a book I read just recently. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Um, Sounds like an interesting title. It's good. It's a good one. It's this... It's... uh, His surname is Easter. I forget his first name. I think it's Michael Easter. But he talks about how being too comfortable is really, you know, it's it's bad for us. Yeah. And, and seeking out discomfort. And it, it doesn't even have to be big. I mean, it could be as simple as like wearing one less layer yeah. and just, just being a little bit cold all the time. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there about nutrition and diet and how there's... It, it's okay to be hungry, it, you know, and, and I think that, that you can, it is, it is, it's, we live in a world where it's very easy to never have to experience cold or hunger or, or boredom, 
or yep. just I mean, probably anything. Once like, upon a time, not too long ago, you could say that you were bored all the time, but but phones have made it so you don't oh, have yeah. to endure that. For oh, even, that's what I'm referring to completely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And In general, I think. You know, and as someone... You don't have to cook. You don't have to walk to anywhere you don't even yeah. need to get the bus now you have free now you have uber i, like, I mean talk about like getting your bearings and having yeah, to figure yeah. out where you are with a compass and a, and a pencil oh, and a yeah. map i mean and <laughs> like it, you're talking shit about me now because i can't do that no, i'll see no, you fucker but but get off <laughs> but it's so easy i mean I, yeah. that's how i got here is i got my phone out and i no. i don't know where i am in the strict sense of the word and um Doble. And it's yeah, exactly. Doble. <laughs> and I think that it's it's beautiful that you can you don't actually have to go very far to experience these things. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be in very far from civilization for a lot of this. No. Uh, at the same time, you can find these incredible elemental struggles in nature where like near house head and yeah uh, like you can stop for fish Dunleary. and chips if you want yep exactly yeah yeah which mushy i put fully peas. intend to do mushy peas as well or no oh yeah yeah i love the mushy i don't understand people's aversion to the mushy peas that that if they haven't had them already they kind of don't want them and I, think I see they're missing out do you like the mushy peas i'm gonna piss so many people off i haven't stopped by for fish and chips and mushy peas yet oh, really like since you've been in ireland yeah oh there's a reason why fried food makes my belly really unhappy uh like like not even on i have major issues with nausea i don't mind it but it happens all the time and fried fish specifically makes me really fucking nauseous because it's so oily Okay. So I haven't like sat down and dedicated my life to eating fish and chips could, with mushy could peas. Could you have like a deconstructed, like a like a grilled piece of fish and oh, some? Yeah. Oh, I love fish. Like, I love fish. Like, I just haven't gone out of my way yet. Again, mm. we're talking about comfort crisis. I think I have an issue. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to like put my, I'm, it's more just cause fried fish in general, like battered fish. Yeah is so oily that i just uh, pick my battles i'm like yeah smells nice looks nice um what about mashed potatoes are you like mad into I, it oh yeah i love it are yeah, you yeah, yeah. oh wow and I'm, i mean I'm, i'd say i'm definitely irish american enough to be into all the irish yeah, stuff yeah, that irish all... people are probably sick of i get really like but everyone gets really mad at me over me not liking mashed you don't like potatoes, potatoes period or i just like chips okay <laughs> and Fair sweet enough. potatoes oh sweet potatoes are great they're so good really really good um, there's a campfire trick where you, you wrap one in foil and then you just put it on the fire and I don't know, like half an hour or something, you've got mm. yourself a baked sweet potato. Oh, nice. Really good. I have a really bad experience when it comes to putting something on foil and on a fire. So back home, right? I would have been, I think I would have been like maybe nine or 10 and we were at this place that's like really rocky and there were like waves coming in and we went into, I went swimming, I went. I was about to go swimming and I stopped and I told my mom, I'm like, should I wear my, they're kind of like safety shoes, right? Oh, like the, um, yeah, like a water shoe. Yeah, yeah. like a water shoe. And my mom's like, oh no, it's fine. You're going down with me. Lo and behold, of course, I go in, a wave comes in and my heel gets scraped with a sea urchin. Oh, oh, oh. And so she was a big one. She was a big one to the point where she got stuck to my foot. My mom had to take it off. 
and <laughs> they took me up and all I, not even all I remember, I didn't pass out, but I was still fairly young and it was quite a chaotic experience. But I remember my aunt pulled out an onion from the ground, cut it in half, tin foil, threw it on the barbecue and then put a really hot onion oh on my, my heel. And don't fucking ask me what witchcraft this did, is. Did it work? It, it brought out a yeah. lot of the okay. like spikes, but they obviously had to take me to the polyclinic afterwards. I remember my, I remember kicking my aunt as well. But like you imagine just putting. Oh. So there you go. If, I don't Oof. know if sea urchins are around in Ireland, they're, but oh, they are. Oh yeah, they certainly are. Onion. <laughs> Onion. I think it's probably the juices or something that makes them like. I wonder. That's it that's was intense. so disgusting. Oof. I think in general it was really gross. To know that there was like a living cre like a creature's body still in yeah. me and wiggling out of me. You know, like even the ointment that they were putting yeah. was like in order for them to like come to the surface. Oh. Yeah, I mean the ocean is hostile, you know. It really. Uh, no, I was at the shore. Like I was yeah. in like a little, not even a puddle. Obviously, like you could go down, oh. but uh, yeah, like uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's rough. Onions, On onions, and tinfoil yeah. and barbecues. That sounds like that is not <laughs> medical advice. Um, yeah, it, I, it is. Um, <laughs> You're lucky though. I think some people have a story like that, and then it's like, and that was the last time I ever went in the ocean. But you're oh, you have no you gotta, option back home. Yeah, you, you have gotta, no option. You got to get back. Oh, in the water. I nearly oh. got to. Rather than run over by a car, I remember snorkeling. In oh, I already know what it's probably going. like next Camino or something. But I was like snorkeling for a very long time, and I get, nearly got hit by a boat, like a mm. mini like cruise ship. You couldn't hear anything, of no, course not. Yeah, like they're silent. Dead silent, you're intrigued by everything. I, and I wasn't a kid, I was probably a teenager. So there was that as well. Uh, the amount of times that I would have been out on my Lilo. And this is just my experience. Of course, there are. My dad was out scuba diving with his friends and their dinghy burst and their phones mm. like drowned mm -hmm. and like a moose cut him over. Like, very, he stopped windsurfing because he was out and he looked down and he saw this like massive whatever it was oh. underneath him and apparently he turned back and fucking like that was it when it came to windsurfing for him so <laughs> yeah i mean my, my brother has a horrific uh propeller injury on his leg and he's lucky that he made a full recovery but he has some pretty impressive scars oh, i'm so scared of jet skiing <laughs> the, the thing i always say is anybody who's afraid of sharks has never been in the water with a boat propeller uh, it's terrifying um, yeah and I think the biggest thing is as you prepare for any kind of adventure on the ocean is you want to learn as much as you can and you want to learn, you want to try to understand what you don't know you don't know mm. because those are the things. And there is um, my friend Rich who I was hiking with actually told me about something called the adventure paradigm. It's a great one if you're someone who's into putting these things into metrics. And on the one hand, you have you have uh, kind of complacency on one end of the spectrum and, and boredom, right? And on the other hand, you have misadventure. That is like, or I think there might even be further like catastrophe, that something has gone like terribly wrong. And the sweet spot is adventure. And where you are on the spectrum depends on your 
like experience level will move okay. what that is. Yeah. So if if you have no experience in the ocean, just riding on like going on a whale watch or swimming in water where you can't see the bottom could be adventure. Yeah. As you gain more experience, I mean, there are some people for whom going around Ireland would be firmly in their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing that's important to point out is you don't do this when it's like the storms that make the news. You're going, you pick sunny days and you stay in your tent or in the B&B or in, there's one guy who spent a couple of weeks in, a, in pubs in Dingle waiting <laughs> for the weather to improve. Um, you kind of choose your own adventure. And so this this whole matrix, but the thing is where people get into trouble is when you are doing something that you don't know is dangerous. Um, and so I, I think a big one for people, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifeboat volunteer. I, I should probably, <laughs> I should probably give a shout out to water safety while I'm, while I'm on your podcast, especially because this time of year is when people die because it's warm out and it's nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, not today, but like typically typically and, yes well, oh yeah no you no, get no nice days when, this time when, of year. when the weather is nice in ireland all hell breaks loose but the trouble is the water isn't nice it's still yeah. really cold exactly and, um water under i think i think it's 25 degrees is going to kill you from hypothermia it's just a question of how long stay in it. it's going to take and if you wear a dry suit you can prolong that so with the gear i wear kayaking if some catastrophe happened where somehow I was separated from my kayak. I could float all night. And in the morning I will be extremely cold. Hopefully someone will have found me, but I'll be in no real danger because of how I am dressed and mm. being prepared for immersion. This time of year, we're talking a couple hours. If I'm lucky, if I was in just a bathing suit. Oh yeah, exactly. For sure. So you, you, these are things you need to know. And then you, you balance risk. There are days where I, I don't wear a full dry suit because it would be way too hot, but I'm also not very far from shore and I'm in water that I know really well. Mm -hmm. But that's that's kind of part of the fun. And I, I think when, when it comes to risk, in one of my, I've, I, one of the conversations I had with, with Mike, Mike Jones, who, by the way, is starting what's, He's kind of, he's called me like his guinea pig for his adventure coaching, which I think is really cool. And he's going to be helping people with expeditions because he's also a mountaineer mm. and helping with the planning, but, but also the mindset stuff. And he's saying that yeah, this stuff is risky, but so is driving. I mean, this is one of the most dangerous countries for driving in Europe. And what I think is really dangerous is sitting on your ass and, and, you know, watching life pass you by or being too unfit to chase your grandkids around and play. And those are risks. I think, I think nobody gets, gets out of here alive. We're not here for a long time. And I, I, these are cliches, but it, it's absolutely true to a person that that's that's how it goes and i i think you have to choose choice. yeah you have to choose your risks and to me an unacceptable risk is not doing these things sure. um and i think to bring it you know full circle I, I think that that's certainly related to feeling as though that sense of family history 
um, because it, for all the drama we talked about in my dad's story of, of and, and everything he went through, at one point he was a young man who wanted to have an adventure. Yeah, and 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 it's it's really important to remember that it's not all the things that people kind of build it up to be. Um, for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, risk talking. Risk is a funny one. It is. It is. Talking about things coming for full circle because I'm aware of the time. I think you're gonna like this. What have you done for your community lately? Ooh. Rather than your country. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I thought I thought about that one because that's we do. And spoiler alert: we we end <laughs> we end the book and start it with that question and start it because yeah. that was something my dad was asked. He had a conversation with someone who worked for President Kennedy. Who he was. My dad, you know, he was, he was young. He was talking about his war record. Not bragging, but he he was proud yeah. of it. And the guy just looked him in the eye and he's like, that's good. But, you know, what have you done lately for, for your country? I think community is a better way to think about it. It gets it out of the, the, the realm national, of that, patriotism. Yeah, that's back, yeah fuck all that. <laughs> I, love, I love that volunteering for the lifeboat has given me a chance to serve my community in a, in a way that, like, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a really fun way to spend every Monday night. It's training. We, we do all kinds of things on the water to learn how to save people's lives out, out at sea in Bantry Bay. But it, it taught me something else that I've since heard from people who've, who've served in other ways, which is we're it. There's about 12 of us, and that's who's coming if you're in trouble on the water in our little corner of the Atlantic. If, if you're listening to this and you're in Bantry and, and being part of a search and rescue team sounds in any way interesting to you. Or Sign in, the fuck up. Yeah. Like I, I, now let's, 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 with what time we have left, let's have a recruitment drive. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah. No, every, I, I think almost every community in Ireland that, that is, that's coastal has a lifeboat, whether it's RNLI, which is a cooperative thing with the UK or we are a CRBI, which is a community rescue boat inshore. I hope I'm getting that right. And there are even some of them on the lakes and rivers in Ireland. That's who that 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 is who goes out in a storm for someone who is it, they define saving a life as the person would have died if the lifeboat wasn't called out. Mm-hmm plenty of times where it's a windsurfer who got blown in the wrong direction. They may or may not have been in serious trouble. I live in fear that someone's going to call the lifeboat because they see me doing rolls out in the middle of the bay and they don't like it. I think you need like a particularly colored. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wear the brightest stuff I can. My my boat has like a glittery blue deck with, with hand painted starfish all over it. Of course. They look like sort of like Patrick on SpongeBob. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I mean, join the lifeboat, give generously to the lifeboat, go into your local pub and put your change in the jar for the lifeboat. lifeboat. It is one of the best things. It, It was still in operation through the troubles, through the Irish war of independence. This was, something that has transcended politics, Brexit, all of it, it because it, it, it's this, it's some of the same organizations in the UK. And 
you know, when you talk about good guys, bad guys, like saving people's lives at sea is uncontroversially good. Yeah. It's something that's actually you have to do if you're in a position to do it, if you're in any boat out on the water, not yeah. just a... A lot of people kind of get angry at people that put their lives at risk because they're like, at risk because they're like, you do know that these people then have to come out and save yes. you. Yes. And that's another part of the water safety conversation. It, yeah. If you don't have the training, if you don't have the experience, if the conditions are marginal. You are mortal. Yeah. Stay home. Stay, you know, <laughs> it, it, when in doubt, don't go out. Yeah. It's the bottom line. But the thing is, it's not like there's a line out the door of people willing to do this work. Mm-hmm. It's 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 small group of dedicated volunteers who if they weren't there this stuff would not exist and and that is not limited to the lifeboat here. That's a, my friend Rich who's in the RFA, the Royal Fleet Auxiliary, the part of the Royal Navy. They have a recruitment issue. They have low numbers. The Irish Navy has a couple ships they can't actually put in the water because or they can't they can't crew because they have low numbers. Maybe the military doesn't sound like your thing, but if you don't like the idea of illegal fishing in Irish waters, you might want to join the Navy. I see. You can do anything for a year. Go give one of these mm. organizations or or a charity a couple yeah. years of your life uh, and then go do something else. Or maybe you'll find that you love it. If I could do the lifeboat full time, that would probably be my job because I, I just absolutely love it. And it... Anyway, that's my answer, the lifeboat. And it's a small thing, but it means a lot to me. And it's something that anyone could do. You don't have to be a special kind of person. They teach you everything you need to know. You don't need to have experience on the water. And yeah. Yeah, that's it. I like it. Um, And we get to do some pretty cool stuff. We uh, We did like survival training at the National Maritime College in Cork, which was insane. Oh, keep selling it. <laughs> in the Navy. But Do you have any more shout outs there? Well, um, the big one. So one question I've gotten asked about the lap is what are you going to eat? And lunch, actually, it looks like it's going to happen on the boat most of the time because it's a huge effort. This isn't just a, most people who have kayaked have paddled an empty kayak. This is going to be a kayak that weighs about 25 kilos and 20 kilos plus my weight, plus probably my weight again in gear and food and supplies. I'm only going to stop for resupply about four times. I'm going to carry 10 days of food with me at a time. Holy shit. And then I'll have some friends around Ireland coordinating. I'll throw you a chicken roll. Yeah, seriously. If you, if you want to uh, like come down to Dunleary yeah. or wherever I stop and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. bring food. Um, I'll get you a chicken roll. The, the thing I'm going to really want is like oranges and bananas and, and real f- fruit. No chicken rolls. Because I'm going to be eating dehydrated. Yeah. Chicken roll sounds pretty good though. <laughs> Carry on. And, but, um, so I have kind of, at the moment, I just have the one sponsor, which is Resilient Nutrition. They're over in the UK and they've developed these like nut butters for that it's kind of like the gels that people have a lot of like ultra yeah, marathoners like for, yeah but it, most of them are kind of sugary and awful these ones are full of of protein and like really good fats and they're they're meant to keep you they call it like long range fuel they're meant to keep you just going all day so are you just ingesting peanut 
butter. Yes, but they have like really good flavors. They have one that's gingerbread and it, it, oh, it straight up tastes like Christmas. It's so good. Does it like stick to the roof of your mouth? Oh yeah, but you're hydrating too. Yeah. And, and oh then, my God, so it stays longer in your mouth. A little bit. And yeah. again, if you've been in a boat for eight hours, you are you squeeze a little bit in your mouth and, and you, you just need it enjoy. For yeah. And and that's the beauty of be, of doing something that makes you really uncomfortable, I think, is you just savor things that otherwise you would be uh, savor these nuts. <laughs> yeah, and the nut jokes like write themselves. There um, you go. They're, Sorry um, guys, thank you for the sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they think they have one that's it's like keto, so it's it's based okay. on like a uh what is it? It's coconut coconut uh yeah coconut oil based Ooh, so, nice. and it's like i what like i get hard when it's cold and then they're like dot 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 that's awkward and they have like a sticker that says that and <laughs> uh, anyway they make bars and stuff and okay. they've just been amazing i have um i was working with them this year for for a challenge that's a kind of a one day all day event and their founder ali uh, and I think they're on Instagram at Resilient Nuts. I'll tag he, them. Don't worry. He took the time to walk through how many calories I'm going to need, okay, when oh, to eat, on. how to eat, all of that uh, to to sustain me in a situation where I'm going to be doing most of my eating in the boat. Yeah, and I, I would be totally lost without that because I'm not a nutritionist. The fun part is I'm going to be eating probably four to five thousand calories a day, and on nuts. Of, no, 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 no. I, I may have a couple camping meals at either yeah, end of the yeah, day, yeah. but in the middle of the day, it's going to be bars, uh, gels, things like that. And you need stuff that's compact, eh? Yep. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Rice Krispie treats, they're on the other end of the spectrum being oh, like yeah. really sweet. Yeah, but they're, they're like they're... a TikTok trend right now, Charlie. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's mostly among like the gym boys, like the bros, because they get a really good pump from the... when, like, before eating. It's kind of like pre workout. Oh, man. I'm gonna have to rice crispy like, treats. I'm gonna have to get on TikTok and be a, be a rice crispy influencer. If you get on TikTok, the chances of the lap happening, <laughs> <laughs> like I'll be spending, like my- talk about comfort and sitting on your ass. Just yeah, I I gotta be so careful with. I go down rabbit holes when I get on my phone. And, oh yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to completely. And, Anyone else that's helping you out? I mean, just Dominique, Dominique, Dominique. <laughs> uh, just the level of this cannot be easy for her. I don't think she likes thinking about me out there, and and she and I'm, it's definitely a ridiculous amount of time to spend away from her. Yeah, uh, especially that we're like newlyweds, and so her patience with me and her patience with the obsession and the space this is taking up in my life. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you wifey. Dominique. I'll get you a chicken roll, Dominique. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely chicken roll for Dominique. Those are those are the big ones. Those are but the main I, ones. I just can't stress enough that there is no um there is no such thing as a solo expedition. And and I have a couple friends locally who are gonna be doing they don't know it yet, but I'm about to volunteer them to be my what's called a weather router. So they're gonna be on shore. I'll have some really basic info on my phone mm-hmm. and like I'll check in on a radio to hear the weather reports, but they're going to be able to get the full picture because if you know bad weather's coming, you want to get as um, one guy who did it said, like you want to get stuck somewhere with a vibe. So you don't want to be on a rock in Connemara miles from a town, 
just while the wind shakes your tent for like five days. Yes, very if, if you true. know the weather is going to be terrible, just find a cool town and yeah, have exactly a little, little trip. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I'll check in next June and and I'll be I'll be posting soon to this newsletter with updates on how my training's going. There's kind of a theme to every month. Like any sport, there's sort of an off season. So in the wintertime, I'm going to be doing just a lot of general fitness stuff, a lot of kettlebells, a lot of time on the bike. And then you still kayak in the winter, but a lot of times it's too rough. No, no, no. It's not worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Best of luck. Thanks. I'll add the link in the show notes, by the way. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I know this is a... a I uh, yeah I hope I don't know I hope I made sense it was good. I hope I didn't say um too much <laughs> no 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 you're fine you're fine it was really good I think we covered everything and I'm sure there's a lot of takeaways for people to get from this in terms of like creative and also just comfort and pushing themselves there's something else though about what it means to tell these stories where I, I think if this has somehow sparked your desire to tell your your grandma's story or something documenting something like this can take so many different forms it does not have to be a book it doesn't even have to be something that you intend to anyone outside it doesn't have to be a video your family no. could literally i think the best way download a, a voice recorder app on your phone put it in the middle of the table start talking to grandma and and then figure out what the fuck you want to do with it whenever you want to yes and uh you know it can help too to find some material out there that's similar to what you're doing mm -hmm. or again like we do these things on what's that old expression of like shoulders of giants yeah like i wrote this book with the help of a lot of books that helped me understand how to ask the right questions how yeah. to write yeah. how to how to think about these things um i'm going around Ireland because John and Mike and Joe showed the way. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, that's, that's what these things come down to. So it's like, you got to find those teachers for sure. Um, yeah. And I think too, that was like, for me, probably one of the upsides of, of having a hard time in school mm -hmm. is that you learn how to ask for help because you have to yeah and then that can transfer to other things in your life and i think with like you were talking about with with reaching out with not being afraid to reach out and creating these communities where the internet has created this like golden age of being able to ask for help yeah and, and see don't shy away from it don't shy away from it don't and like you can it, it can be done it's just literally that dm and then what are you going to do after that DM? Because that's the most important thing is, oh, I, Debbie, I want to do this podcast. Explain to me how. Mm -hmm. I can give you my fucking gear list. I don't care. Are you going to press record? And that's what's going to determine whether or not someone picks up a pen and publishes that book or just like dreams about publishing a book. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah. Wanting to do something is, is wanting to do something is nothing. all fine and dandy. Some people feel comfortable still wanting that, mm -hmm. but then that's up to them at the end of the day, Charlie. Yeah. And I think one thing too, cause like we live in this time of 
a lot of aspirational content, a lot of people being not very nice in the way they put these things out where yeah. it's sort of look how great my life is. Mm. I think you have to understand the sacrifices involved in anything you do, right? Uh, and I think it, that's going to be that transparency with your newsletter, mm. you know? Because it's really easy to look at something and say, oh, must be no, nice, no, no. right? Yeah, it's going to be very easy for people to look at your photo after you finish this, being like, oh, congrats. Yep. And, or, I mean, even I just think about, because one thing I'm going to include in the newsletter is is just sort of updates from from our life. Yeah. Me and Dominique and our cat, Serge, we live in this stone cottage on the ocean and we're trying to make it winterized because right now it's it's cold. And it's one of those things. You could look at that and say, well, must be nice. And yeah, we're incredibly lucky to live where we live and we're incredibly lucky that we're not paying a mortgage right now and you know you can go down the list on the other hand there's a lot of just keeping our house warm that we're having to learn from scratch and do ourselves yeah we had rats crawling around in our ceiling when we no moved thank in. you yeah no i mean no nightmare i put me out in the ocean <laughs> Alone in no, a tiny no boat. No, no rats that night. Oh my god! No. It was it was like a horror movie until we got uh -uh. them taken care of. They were crawling around in the walls, and sometimes I get creeped out with my puppy just running around upstairs and hearing her nails. Let's no, it's the worst. Fucking rat. Awful. awful no, thank awful. You. And and so yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're making content, like maybe sometimes talk about the rats because I think it it, it is easy otherwise to get this picture perfect version of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote this book because I didn't have a job. Like if I had been a desirable candidate for internships and fellowships and whatever, I'd probably be living in Vermont being like an adjunct professor of English or some, and, and, and I'm saying that because I straight, I, I there's no way I could even do that. I'm not, I'm yeah, not, yeah, I'm not yeah. disparaging yeah. people who do that. Exactly. I, I can't. No. And, and so knowing what you want to do, knowing what you're, willing to sacrifice to do it and yeah. knowing what you're risking by not doing it. Yeah, exactly. Those are, those are, I think that's how you avoid a life of bitterness and regret and accusing other people of like, must be nice. For sure. Focus on you. Okay. We're going to leave without that, Charlie. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. I appreciate it. <laughs> Longer Days Collective.